Okay, guten Morgen. We're going to listen to some Midas Touch. Rudy's entire life in shambles. Brutal court ruling incoming eight hours ago. Behold, the 2020 Toyota Camry. But at Echo Park, this isn't just any used Camry. This was Tim's used Camry. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF After Dark. Rudy Julian. AKA unindicted co-conspirator number one in the District of Columbia. Indicted co-conspirator number whoever, 15 in Georgia, has his own legal problems. The more the indictments, the merrier. His role in trying to interfere with elections and abuse people and try to convince them to commit fraud when they weren't. He attacked Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, two lowly paid election workers in Georgia who were just doing their job counting votes. Yeah. He defamed them so mercilessly that he's already lost the first half of the trial, a trial on damages that starts on December 15th. Karen Friedman, Ignifolo, and me, my co-anchors on Legal AF Midweek, break it all down for you. Here's a listen. Rudy Giuliani's not going to be doing any of that. Um, he's not going to have any money to do any of that because he's going to lose a lot in this defamation case that's going to trial in December. Battery low. With some other right-wing media people like OAN and others, leaving Rudy Giuliani, who defamed and doxed them mercilessly, as as did Donald Trump. Uh, they committed voter fraud. They uh, the the running the running thematic there for the Trump organization and the campaign and their lawyers like Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, was that. In Fulton County, which is 80% Democrat, <laughs> that they, that's the place where you commit fraud, where it's 80% Democrat, right? Um, uh, and then the vote counting in Atlanta, when Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss with a low-paid or no-paid job of counting votes, doing their job, counting ballots, putting them into optical readers, taking discarded ballots, putting them in the lock boxes under their desk, and doing it all over again, rinse and repeat. No. To, to Donald Trump, who mentioned it during his perfect phone call to Brad Raffensperger and to Rudy Giuliani on his podcast on Fox News and anywhere else, anyone else who would listen. This was part of a voter fraud because they were they were taking um, fake ballot ballots for Biden, Biden ballots and stuffing the ballot box electronically or otherwise with votes that got dropped off in suitcases and briefcases that were from China that um, whatever else were made up stuff that on, on a thumb drive, on a thumb drive that Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss were passing back and forth to each other and taking votes from under the table and putting them into the machine, which is true if you run the video backwards, which is what they did because the, actually the ballots were going from the table to the box, not the other way around. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation did a full investigation of this, as did the Secretary of State's investigative body, investigative branch, and completely cleared Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss of any voter fraud whatsoever. The thumb drive was a breath mint that was being passed uh, between the two of them, and there was nothing untoward uh, or improper or fraudulent done by them at all. They are heroes, they're patriots doing their civic duty, and we know it was all caught on film because there's cameras. Unlike Donald Trump, who tried to drown, bury, 
on his video cameras at Mar-a-Lago to hide his misdeeds. These video, video clips actually exist and were reviewed by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That didn't stop Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, despite that, from continuing to claim that they committed voter fraud. It got so bad that they actually, two, at least three of the co-conspirators in Georgia, went after Ruby Freeman, including... Uh, a woman named Kuti, Kuti, who used to be a stylist for Kanye West and Black Voices for Trump leader um, Willie Floyd and Ray Smith, a uh, Kanye a West connection, cornered Ruby Freeman, even bringing her to a police station to try to coerce her to to, to uh, admit to fraudulently admit to voter fraud, and that's part of the conspiracy of which Donald Trump is also tagged in Georgia with Ruby Freeman at the center. But Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss have a civil day in court to because they were doxxed, because they were almost uh, attacked physically. They had to move from their house for protection. And so they sued Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy Giuliani did so many things wrong. And it, you'd, you'd almost have to think that Rudy never was a member of the bar. Mm-hmm. That he was if, like, it would make a lot more sense if this was like my cousin Vinny instead of my cousin Rudy where he didn't know the rules and the procedures. He'd never been in federal court before. I've never been in the big city before. I don't know how these things work. But he, has a, a, but he has a lawyer. Well, even if he didn't have a lawyer, Rudy Giuliani is, was a lawyer for 40 years in the federal court practice. In so how go. you are uh, so terrible at, at, at being a participant in the process that you completely flout the uh, the authority of the judge you refuse to provide any of the documents that you're required to provide you refuse to participate in discovery process you get sanctioned three times for attorney's fees for over half a million dollars and then when the judge has had enough enough rudy you lose your ability to defend the case and you get a judgment against you on liability and how does his lawyer allow it to get to that point if this was your client more than one lawyer He's got an out-of-control client that's not... I mean, unless you bail out, which, you know, some some tried to. He's you know, pulling you, a trump. If you, you know, your client is his own worst enemy. There's not much you can do other than to say, it wasn't me, Judge. Don't sanction me. Sanction him. Uh, and but that's Rudy, not what happened today no. when he was supposed to show up in court today, and he didn't show up, and the judge was like, what the heck? You were supposed to be here. And the lawyer was like, oh, that was me. That wasn't him. Well, that one, that one he took the bullet, but... But where we, how we got where we are, where lawyers are getting screamed at by the federal judge. This federal judge has been more than patient. She has, re, she has been, her orders have been violated half a dozen times by Rudy Giuliani, important ones. And it's gotten so bad that even when she gave him the last chance to turn over his financial records about his revenue from his podcast, how much money he makes so that the jury has an idea for punitive damages, how much to award, if they're going to award any at all, he missed the deadline to do that. And the judge says, if you don't give this information within a week's time, I am going to give an instruction, an adverse inference instruction to the future jury that tells them that as a matter of law, they are instructed to conclude that Rudy Giuliani is trying to hide his money to suppress his net worth, sound familiar, except it goes the other way for Trump, in order to avoid punitive damages and for good measure that he's not allowed to talk at all about anything related to the liability case. He just has to stand there and take it for damages only. Now, Rudy, hearing all of that, decided 
Well, my best place to avoid a huge jury, a, a huge award is with is not is with a uh, jury is with a sorry is with a judge. So he argued at the last minute there's no jury involved here, even though the judge has already decided that there's going to be a jury and that there's no jury. It really down to damages. That's a judge thing, not a jury thing. And the judge says, well, you know, you may be right in certain circumstances, but I'm the trier of fact and I want help and I want a jury to handle the fact finding related to the damage amount. And so we're having a jury trial. See you guys on whatever day this was yesterday or today in my courtroom. And she has ordered him to be there for every event in the case since. And he didn't show up today. And what happened with the judge, um, KFA? The judge got very upset, you know, and basically, you know, it was a head scratcher how Giuliani did not show up for this and how he didn't. How about a bench um, warrant? How he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't here to agree to the things that he's supposed to agree on because the trial's starting next week. And, you know, look, a lot, it, this is fascinating to me because, you know, the, the amount of incompetence that is going on in addition to trying to, uh, actually, I don't even know what the strategy is. I, I, I can't wrap my head around this because, and maybe it's because Rudy Giuliani w was such a big figure, a larger than life figure in New York for years and years and years. I just can't believe that he's gone from being, you know, a, a kind of a, he was America's mayor after 9-11, right? In addition to being a United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, you know, some would say the most prestigious um, U.S. attorney's office in the country. He's gone from, from that to the, you know, to having the, a press conference outside of the Four Seasons, you know, whatever that place was, like a landscaping and landscaping, yeah. Um, instead of the Four Seasons, with you know another one where he has that 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 hair dye, you know, dripping down his face, and now he's in this case. He's just this can't be a strategy, right? He's just screwing up at every single turn. He's not doing anything he's supposed to be doing. And now, it, so the latest one was, you know, he asked that there not be a jury, right? He said, I want just a bench trial, not a jury trial, because Otherwise, you know, the the jury instruction that you're going to read is going to be it's going to say that, you know, this was you're only going to you're, the jury's only to consider damages because he's already been sanctioned. He's already been found a default judgment as a sanction, not even a default judgment the way the way, you know, there's no, there's no sort of like the way Judge Ngoron did in the Trump case saying, you know, I, I've looked at all the papers and, and I think, you know, the plaintiff wins on the papers, basically, the papers and all the, all the, the record before me. This isn't a substantive win. This is a win because of all of the things you just said that he has not done. And, you know, it's this willful, willful discovery of misconduct. And, you know, he said basically that, that it would that would prejudice me um, in front of a jury, so I just wanted a judge trial. And the judge basically said, first of all, the Seventh Amendment guarantees the right to a jury trial in a civil case, and why should the plaintiff lose that right under these circumstances? That would be extremely unfair. And P.S. Rudy Giuliani, when we went over the jury charges, you didn't even object to that one. So now you're objecting, like at the, you know, the 11th hour. It's like, it just seems like his lawyer 
isn't paying attention and he is just not getting involved at all in this case. But but to what end? I mean, I, I just don't understand because he's going to for sure be found 100% liable. And the damages are going to be, you know, the, the two most compelling witnesses in, in the Jack Smith cases are going to be Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, right? They, they are, when they testify about what has happened to them, you know, there's not going to be a dry eye in the house and the same thing's going to go for the Giuliani trial, right? And, and all of the things that, that Giuliani said and, and did about him. And, you know, I loved the one thing I did love, um, that I, I wrote down that, uh, that Beryl Howell wrote. He said, you know, the irony of this assertion must be highlighted given the many opportunities Giuliani was afforded to comply with his discovery obligations, but to no avail. And the further opportunities Giuliani was afforded to be heard on any adverse instructions to be given to the jury, but he consented to those instructions. And Giuliani's own discovery misconduct necessitated the entry of default judgment against him. And this court will not reward him for conduct that has already resulted in significant prejudice to the plaintiffs. I mean, you know, I, it's like, a, I just love the way he, he phrased that. And look, you know, he only has himself to blame and, you know, and then he doesn't show up today. I mean, I, I just, the whole thing makes no sense to me, um, how this is going to go down and how, why this is happening. And, you know, the other question we were talking about, you know, well, I have a few questions about the trial for you, the civil lawyer, cause I love learning from you. Um, is first of all, it's going to be a jury of eight people. Why eight, not 12, right? How, how do you get the number of, of jurors um, in a civil case? And does it have to be unanimous? And I'd love to hear, because I love learning from you in, in these circumstances. I think you're okay, on so we're, doing, we're, so we're doing jury. All right. So you need between six and 12, and usually the parties, whatever the standard practice is for that courtroom. I, I've never done eight. I've done six. I've done nine and I've done 12. Eight's an odd number, not literally. Um, <laughs> it's an even number that happens to be odd. Generally, it comes from court practice or consultation with the lawyers that are involved about how many that they want. It has to be over six. Usually it's under 12. Um, eight's a weird number. You read eight? Because eight, um, eight, yeah, okay. So, all right, so it's eight. And in so terms it's not of, statutory, it's like agreed upon? Well, it's statutory between the numbers of 6 and 12, and then you can sort of pick what you want in between there and satisfy the, the requirements. As to, for criminal, it's generally unanimous. For, for a federal civil, uh, the last time I did a federal civil, I needed... Um, I don't think it's a majority. I think you have to get, when we go to the next, when you're chatting through the next one, I'll double check about the issue of a unanimity for it. Um, I might be confusing with the state requirement. Well, but that that's why legal laugh is great. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and I will report it. So uh, that's, we'll follow oh, that trial closely. Michael it's going to be tens of millions of dollars awarded and punitive damages by this jury against Rudy Giuliani. And, as you and I joked before the show, um, you know, I think uh, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss would like living on the Upper East Side of New York.
in, in a condo that uh, Rudy used to own uh, <laughs> near Mar-a-Lago. I think those are both beautiful places for that. that one question, one question you and I talked about beforehand, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I don't understand it, is why <laughs> they didn't sue Donald Trump. Why did they just sue Giuliani? I even asked ahead of time. I was like, did I miss yeah. it? Was did I forget what happened to it? Because logically, to not sue, when you, again, when you read what happened to them and who did it, it was very much Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. It wasn't just Rudy Giuliani. So why they didn't sue Trump, I, I don't get it. I think these lawyers made Trump's got money. I think these lawyers made a tactical decision that they did not want to go through. Look, we're three years into an immunity decision, two and a half years into an immunity decision in D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals about whether Donald Trump can can have civil liability to the outer boundaries of his office um, in under the KKK Act for the injuries to the Capitol Police, Metro Police and to the elected officials that were, you know, running for their lives during Jan 6th. And the answer just got answered last week. Um, that issue um, got raised in the E. Jean Carroll case uh, as well. And that just got decided or sort of decided, um, half decided recently. And so I think this is not having spoken to these lawyers, but these lawyers looking around, having sued the media company and gotten a quick settlement, and having sued Rudy, coming right off of you know that issue of whether Donald Trump's statements are inside his scope or color of his authority, or he's campaigner in chief and he's outside, they just you know they're doing this kind of pro pro se pro they're doing this pro bono maybe a contingency certainly a contingency fee, and you know you have to pick your you have to pick your battles, and the battle that they didn't want is to fight through Donald Trump and all the immunity issues, and Donald Trump's bullshit making a circus, as we've seen. In, I mean, what bigger circus? He didn't even go to E. Jean Carroll, and it was a circus. He went to the civil fraud case, and it was like the circus like I've never seen as a child. And so you know what, you know what they've avoided in D.C.? They've avoided the circus, and they got Rudy off by himself for him to crap his own diaper, which is all he's done since he's been a defendant in the case and gotten, and he's already lost the case. And they haven't had to go through the, the, the Trump bullshit. I think if that is the reason, A, they didn't forget. It's not because they forgot. They didn't go, hmm, who are we missing here? Somebody made a decision in consultation with the client that they didn't want to pick the fight with Donald Trump and have to be the be the firm to have to prove whether he has immunity or not for that particular set of actions when there are all these other low-hanging fruit they could go after. That's the only explanation because it's I, the, the lawyers are very, very good and the firms are very, well, very hope, good. I they hope that's the explanation. Yeah, no, I hope that's the explanation. Well, I what, else what else could it be? The other thing it could be, to be honest, is you know now that I represent clients and I know what goes into the thinking of certain clients, I wonder whether they were afraid because... When you when you go after Donald Trump, he look what he's done. Look at how he doubles down. Look at why there's an E. Jean Carroll too. I mean, look at what he does to people. He's a the bully in chief, and and he got they got death threats. I mean, those were real. And I just hope he didn't silence them and make it so that they were actually too afraid to bring the case against him. That that would be a shame. 
Yeah, I don't think knowing that uh, Wilkie Farr and Gallagher, which is a major firm out of New York, it is not going to be afraid of Donald Trump. Now, maybe they're no, firm. not the lawyers, not the lawyers. Maybe. I'm talking about the the plaintiffs. Oh, oh, you're talking about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Yes, yes. I'm talking. I'm not talking about the lawyers. Of course, the lawyers aren't afraid. I'm maybe. saying. Maybe. I wonder if the plaintiffs were like, I can't I like go that. through that again. I can't go through that again. Well, the point you're making is a good one, which is this is a client decision ultimately. So whether the yeah. law firm decided, look, the path of least resistance for us to get you the money and connect you to money is to go after people not named Donald Trump. But it also could have been, I don't want to sue Donald Trump. I already almost lost my house. I had to have law enforcement sitting outside my house and I don't need Trump world, although, you know, Rudy is a part of Trump world, but not directly taking on the cult leader. I like that. I think that's a very good potential analysis. One day, maybe we'll have the lawyers for Wilkie Farr on the show and we can ask them. Well, there's an example of what we do twice a week on the Midas Touch Network. It's the only place we do it. Legal AF. Lawyers talking about legal issues involving politics that know what they're talking about. How unique. That's what we do on Wednesdays and Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Midas Touch Network, on Legal AF, and then in hot takes in between that, that catch you up on current events at that same intersection. If you like that kind of debate, you're going to love the long format show, Legal AF. If you know what I'm talking about, you know who we are. Welcome back. Thanks for can't see. We appreciate you. Send that clip to a friend, family, or somebody in your life and ask them to join the audience. If you have no idea what I'm talking about or who I am, I'm Michael Popak. That was Legal AF. So until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF. What's up, cutie cat? You look beautiful. Keep your eyes on me. What are you? Yep. Hi there. Thanks for 305K. What are you doing with our dog? Today we concluded the 10th week of our trial against Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and other defendants. Over the past few days, we continued to hear testimony from the defendant's many expert witnesses. And one of these experts admitted that the valuations of some of the properties on Donald Trump's statement of financial condition were neither proper nor reasonable. Another one of their experts is a member of Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's private club that he continues to claim is solely a residence. In fact, this witness testified that he was at Mar-a-Lago when he ran into Donald Trump, who asked him for help with an issue in New York. That issue was our lawsuit. We also heard from an accounting professor whose fees are paid by Save America, Donald Trump's political action committee. He testified that the value of Donald Trump's triplex was inflated. On that, we can't agree. But he also had a lot to say about Donald Trump's statements of financial condition, even though he has not prepared a financial statement since the 1980s. Donald Trump can continue to try to distract from reality he can continue to call me names, but as the judge said today, the standard is truth, and the truth 
is on our side. Then what may be the last yeah. week of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, you hear New York Attorney General Letitia James going through what went down last week as these so-called experts all took the stand on Donald Trump's behalf and completely bombed. Many of these so-called expert witnesses basically admitted that Donald Trump engaged in uh, improper conduct and inflated his valuations. And I specifically like how at the end there, New York Attorney General Letitia James talks about how Eli Bartov, a expert who Donald Trump's political action group paid approximately $900,000 for his testimony, had not reviewed a statement of financial condition and was not very familiar with generally accepted accounting principles and had not put uh, together a financial statement for many, many years going back decades. In fact, I've been myself, by the way, this is the Midas Touch Network. Compare what you just saw there with New York Attorney General Letitia James and the press conference that she gives, calm, cool, collected, fact-based to what Donald Trump's been doing. Donald Trump runs out uh, into the hallways after testimony, and he says things like this. She's fraudulent. She's a fraud. She's fraudulent. Here, play the clip. This is a great government. One of the best. I think they said the best government that they deal with. And this is what I have to go through. Fraud from the fraudulent attorney general that valued a incredible club in Florida that's worth 50 to 100 times more than they put down. But they fraudulently valued it low. This woman should be under investigation for what she did. She's a disgrace. Or Donald Trump comes out and says, the banks love Trump. The banks love him. Here, play this clip. No victims. There's no victims. The banks love Trump. A lot of loans were paid off, but they weren't by me. The company is a great company. You heard what they said. Even the banks said this is a great company. One of the best. I think they said the best company that they deal with. Meanwhile, Donald Trump then goes on his social media platform to spread lies. Here's one of the posts that he makes and just make embarrassing posts all together. Here he goes. I told my wonderful son, Eric, not to testify at the rigged trial brought about by New York Attorney General Letitia James. His young life has already been unfairly disturbed and disrupted enough on this corrupt witch hunt. Eric is a 39-year-old man, and he's supposed to be the leader of the Trump organization during the relevant time period. So the fact that Eric would not appear for direct examination, he appeared for cross-exam, but that he would not be there for his own lawyers to go through the financials should tell you everything that you need to know. Donald Trump also posts things like this. Judge Goron's valuation of Mar-a-Lago, the most spectacular property in Palm Beach, Florida, is fraudulent. He states a value of $18 million, knowing full well that it is worth perhaps 50 to 100 times that Engeron is working diligently to misrepresent me, blah, 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 blah. Donald Trump posts this message basically every day because one of the things Donald Trump realizes about the big lie is if you keep repeating a big lie over and over and over again in the legacy media that is incapable of doing its job to rebut the big lie, some people start to believe the big lie in the absence of anyone countering a big lie. It's why it's so critical. 
critical that each and every day we do what we do here at the Midas Touch Network, rebutting all of these false big lies by Donald Trump. Let's be very clear again. Judge Ngoron does not make valuations. Judge Ngoron does not make appraisals. Judge Ngoron looks at whether or not there are disputed or undisputed facts and weighs evidence. With respect to the valuation of Mar-a-Lago, it was undisputed evidence that the valuation of Mar-a-Lago was under $28 million. And where does that undisputed evidence come from? You, Donald Trump, because you devalued the property intentionally and made it not a residential property. You made it a commercial property, a club, for two reasons. One, so you could grift and have other people pay for it through club memberships and then inflate the value of those memberships during the time you were disgracing our nation as a way of gaining uh, uh, quid pro quo money for access. And in addition, you classified it as a commercial club to pay less taxes. If Mar-a-Lago was a residential property, sure. Do I think the value could be 250 to $300 million? Sure. You want to say $350 million? Sure. 50 to 100 times 18. So you think it's somewhere between $900 million and $1.8 billion? It certainly isn't that. But if you claim it's that, then concomitantly, you would have to pay property taxes on that, which you avoided for all of those years. And you executed a deed saying you forever intend to use the property as a commercial club, hence devaluing it, hence paying less uh, property taxes. But then when you wanted a favorable loan, you would then go and say, this is actually a residential property. That was a scheme you repeated with all of your properties, saying something that was 10,000 square feet was 30,000 square feet, saying something that was fully occupied at the highest possible rent per square footage when in fact it was uh, rent controlled and not fully occupied. You ran these schemes with all of your properties. That's why this case is about undisputed facts, how these properties were classified and then how the classification fraud was used to uh, inflate the valuations here. Hello? was used to uh, inflate the valuations here. Blomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from stinking me, up you your kitchen me. and polluting. This is like in the 14th Amendment section at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. By the way, you want to take a look at Donald Trump's other argument in other cases, like in the 14th Amendment Section 3 case where Donald Trump argues Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, let me repeat that. Here it is. Highlighted. Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. That's not me saying that. That's Donald Trump's lawyer in a brief in the 14th Amendment Section 3 case. One other thing I want to address, because Donald Trump tax New York Attorney General Letitia James over and over again. 
Let's talk about the good work that she does every single day while Donald Trump rants and raves like a petulant third grade baby. New York Attorney General Letitia James is talking about lots of other crime, lots of other fraud, lots of other misconduct her office is prosecuting. For example, just a few days ago, she talks about we recovered over $1.8 million from two diners in Brooklyn and Queens for pocketing more than $650,000 in taxes that should have gone to the state. Cheating taxpayers should not be on any diner menu in New York. Here's another post from taking on the companies responsible for the opioid crisis to going after narcotics traffickers. We're tackling the opioid crisis from every angle. Yesterday, we charged Rafael Figueroa for selling fentanyl, heroin, and firearms across New York City and Rockland County. As part of our takedown, we recovered over $140,000 worth of drugs, three loaded handguns, a loaded assault rifle, and three high-capacity magazines. The opioid crisis is wreaking havoc in New York, and we're doing all we can to prevent future devastation and end the crisis. Here's another post from a few weeks back. Today, we busted a major drug trafficking ring that was flooding communities in the capital region with opioids. We charged 25 people for their roles in this drug network and recovered over $350,000 worth of fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine. We also seized four handguns, two high-capacity magazines, and over $50,000. So every day... The New York Attorney General's office law and order is out there doing the important work while Donald Trump wants to say, oh, it's just about Trump, it's just about Trump. No, you are an example of fraud and criminality that gets prosecuted like other fraud and criminality. You do it on a significantly larger scale and perhaps like the big lie, the big fraud For many, many, many decades, prosecutors have not wanted to prosecute, knowing your tactics try to wear them down. But with New York Attorney General Letitia James, with Special Counsel Jack Smith, with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, with Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, with some uh, law and order, no-nonsense prosecutors and judges, the wheels of justice turn folks in the right direction. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. And also check us out at patreon.com slash Touch and have a great one. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and... Say goodbye for poking straps. Say goodbye to uncomfortable... Special counsel Jack Smith just filed an opposition to Donald Trump's motion for a stay pending his notice of appeal in the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case after the district court judge, federal judge Tanya Chutkin, denied Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. We talked about how Donald Trump was seeking this motion for a stay to try 
try to delay all of the proceedings with a pending trial date of March 4th, 2024 in the Washington, D.C. criminal case. The judge presiding over that case is federal judge Tanya Chutkin, and that case involves Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the results of the 2020 election. Donald Trump desperately wants to avoid that March 4th, 2024 trial date, so he filed this motion to stay. He cited two cases, one case called Coinbase involving uh, arbitrability, where the United States Supreme Court held on a district court's denial of a motion for arbitration or a motion compelling arbitration, and the district court proceedings are stayed. Donald Trump also tries to cite a, another case, the Blassingame case that was decided by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, on December 1st, where the D.C. Circuit rejected Donald Trump's request for absolute presidential immunity in civil context. And Donald Trump tried to create some tortured analysis of the D.C. Circuit's opinion there to somehow try to claim that that means that the discovery and the pretrial deadlines and everything else should be stayed in a district court proceeding pending an appeal. When that's not what that case stands for. But here, special counsel Jack Smith and his opposition to Donald Trump's motion for stay really gets right to the heart of it. It's only a three-page opposition filed by special counsel Jack Smith. It's concise. It's the main case and really um, provides the judge, uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin, with all of the grounds she needs to deny Donald Trump's uh, stay request. And just to remind you, Donald Trump wants Judge Tanya Chutkin to stay or stop all of the district court proceedings. This includes the pretrial deadlines, the March 4th, 2024 trial date, the discovery deadlines, the motion deadlines, everything relating to the case, all of the deadlines and obligations. Special counsel Jack Smith says, nope, there's a case called Greggs versus Provident Consumer Discount, a 1982 case, which is the precedent and directly on point. And it basically says that under the Griggs doctrine, when a notice of appeal, an interlocutory appeal like the one Donald Trump filed takes place when Trump's appealing a district court judge's order directly to the Circuit Court of Appeals, in this case, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the only thing that it stays is the um, is uh, are the there are things relating to the court case that are the subject of the motion that's under appeal. And so if the dates and deadlines and obligations relate to things that are not the subject of the appeal under the Griggs divestiture doctrine, the district court is not divested of all of its other authority and all of its other power. It just simply can't make rulings as it relates to the discrete issue on appeal. The discrete issue on appeal is Judge Tanya Chutkin denying Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds. And so if it relates to that motion, special counsel Jack Smith says Judge Chutkin, then we concede Griggs. The main precedent here, the Griggs case says that you can't adjudicate, you can't rule, that's what's stayed or paused, but everything else should be able to proceed. And in fact, special counsel Jack Smith says that they're going to meet every deadline, every uh, discovery obligation, they're going to prepare for trial. 
there's a massive public interest in making sure that this case goes to trial and that the March 4th, 2024 trial date is the trial date. And special counsel Jack Smith says, look, keep this train moving in the district court. And then there'll be proceedings, obviously, before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. But we should be ready here for that March trial when the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules. And again, Jack Smith, I think, cutting to the point here in this three-page motion to try to make it very simple and also show that Donald Trump's lengthy motions are just total kind of bogus uh, motions and that the law is very well established here, Judge Chuckin, and let's just keep moving on with our proceedings here, and you have infinite authority to do that. Here is the government's opposition to defendant's motion to stay proceedings pending appeal. The court should deny the defendant's request for an order staying all district court proceedings while his interlocutory appeal is pending. The defendant incorrectly suggests that such an order would simply memorialize the automatic divestiture rule in the Griggs case, but under Griggs, a notice of appeal divests the district court only, quote, of control over those aspects of the case involved in the appeal. During the pendency of the appeal, any number of matters could arise in this case that are not involved in the appeal. The court should not enter an order preventing it from handling them. Furthermore, the court should maintain the March 4th trial date, it goes on to say, to help ensure the trial uh, proceeds promptly if the court's order is affirmed during the pendency of the defendant's appeal. The government will meet every pretrial deadline the court has set forth. Then, as soon as the mandate returns, the court can promptly resolve any remaining issues and start the trial. And one of the cases special counsel Jack Smith cites here is a case called United States v. Jefferson, a case before the Eastern District of Virginia Federal Court that determined that it was appropriate as a matter of prudence during an interlocutory appeal like the one that's taking place now as Trump appeals the denial of his motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds, it is prudent to schedule a trial date so that the court and the parties may make appropriate plans. And that case seems to be on point as well. The Griggs case, divestiture rule, and it's called divestiture when it divests, when it removes jurisdiction from a district court. So the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal. So Trump filed a notice of appeal. Special counsel Jack Smith recognizes that this Griggs divestiture rule divesting the district court of some powers applies because a notice of appeal was filed. Then it says the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal, obviating the need for a separate stay order. And the stay order the defendant seeks to stay all district court proceeding goes far beyond the Griggs rule. The court should not assume at this juncture that no issue can arise that is not involved in this appeal. For example, the circuit recently returned the mandate on the court's Rule 57.7 order regarding extrajudicial statements. That's the gag order that was uh, reimposed on Donald Trump and affirmed in most parts. And the court has jurisdiction to administer that order. Likewise, nothing about the defendant's appeal 
prevents the court from continuing to enforce, including if necessary, by order briefing or holding hearings, the protective orders governing discovery and the order imposing conditions of release on the defendant. So if he violates it, in other words, judge, you can remand him into custody, throw him in jail. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake involved in the appeal, the court should not enter an order preventing it from handling them. Furthermore, the court should you can't rule that's what state or pause but everything else should be able to proceed and in fact special counsel jack smith says that they're going to meet every deadline every uh, discovery obligation they're going to prepare for trial there's a massive public interest in making sure that this case goes to trial and that the march 4th 2024 trial date is the trial date and special counsel jack smith says look keep this train moving in the district court and then there'll be proceedings obviously before the dc circuit court of appeals but we should be ready here for that march trial when the dc circuit court of appeals rules and again jack smith i think cutting to the point here in this three-page motion to try to make it very simple and also show that donald trump's lengthy motions are just total kind of bogus uh, motions and that the law is very well established here judge chuck in and let's just keep moving on with our proceedings here and you have infinite authority to do that here is the government's opposition to defendant's motion to stay proceedings pending appeal the court should deny the defendant's request for an order staying all district court proceedings while his interlocutory appeal is pending the defendant incorrectly suggests that such an order would simply memorialize the automatic divestiture rule in the Griggs case, but under Griggs, a notice of appeal divests the district court only, quote, of control over those aspects of the case involved in the appeal. During the pendency of the appeal, any number of matters could arise in this case that are not involved in the appeal. The court should not enter an order preventing it from handling them. Furthermore, the court should maintain the March 4th trial date, it goes on to say, to help ensure the trial uh, proceeds promptly if the court's order is affirmed during the pendency of the defendant's appeal. The government will meet every pre-trial deadline the court has set forth. Then, as soon as the mandate returns, the court can promptly resolve any remaining issues and start the trial. And one of the cases special counsel Jack Smith cites here is a case called United States v. Jefferson, a case before the Eastern District of Virginia Federal Court that determined that it was appropriate as a matter of prudence during an interlocutory appeal like the one that's taking place now as Trump appeals the denial of his motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds, it is prudent to schedule a trial date so that the court and the parties may make appropriate plans. And that case seems to be on point as well. 
the Griggs case, divestiture rule, and it's called divestiture when it divests, when it removes jurisdiction from a district court. So the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal. So Trump filed a notice of appeal. Special counsel Jack Smith recognizes that this Griggs divestiture rule divesting the district court of some powers applies because a notice of appeal was filed. Then it says the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal, obviating the need for a separate stay order. And the stay order the defendant seeks to stay all district court proceeding goes far beyond the Griggs rule. The court should not assume at this juncture that no issue can arise that is not involved in this appeal. For example, the circuit recently returned the mandate on the court's Rule 57.7 order regarding extrajudicial statements. That's the gag order that was uh, reimposed on Donald Trump and affirmed in most parts. And the court has jurisdiction to administer that order. Likewise, nothing about the defendant's appeal prevents the court from continuing to enforce, including if necessary, by order briefing or holding hearings, the protective orders governing discovery and the order imposing conditions of release on the defendant. So if he violates it, in other words, judge, you can remand him into custody, throw him in jail. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest yeah. impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up to since these come with three I D A S at checkout, you'll get three one hundred percent satisfied claim your free three piece towel.com slash M E I. So my wife got me this weird new kitchen knife as a Christmas gift. God, I love her. Effort. In addition, while the appeal is pending, the court can make headway on the motions already before it, including the defendant's motions to dismiss based on statutory grounds and selective and vindictive prosecution. The court can and should properly deny these motions under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 37, which provides that a district court retains authority to deny pending motions that it otherwise, quote, lacks authority to grant because of an appeal that has been docketed and is pending. In other words, Judge, you've got discovery before you. You've got motions to dismiss other than the one that's now on appeal. Let's use this time while Donald Trump has filed this notice of appeal before the D.C. Circuit on the issue of absolute presidential immunity to get to work. Let's make headway on the case. Let's proceed as though we're heading to trial. And that's all consistent with the Griggs Doctrine. That's all consistent with Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 37 and the related case law here. For its part, in light of the public's strong interest in a prompt trial, the government will seek to ensure that the trial proceeds as scheduled. In particular, the government will continue to meet all of the deadlines in the court's pretrial schedule. This means that while the appeal is pending, although the defendant will not be subjected to the burdens of litigation, the government will continue to shoulder its own burden. Accordingly, the government will provide the defendant and the court with any notice required by the pretrial schedule and more. 
including, depending on the length of the appellate process, the government's exhibit list, motion eliminating, and other pleadings pertaining to the government's trial presentation, any filings the government makes according to the court schedule while the appeal is pending can then promptly be litigated if the court's order is affirmed and the mandate is returned. To the extent the defendant is seeking a stay pending his appeal of matters implicating those aspects of the case involved in the appeal, the court should deny his motion as unnecessary and duplicative the divestiture occurred when the defendant filed his notice of appeal. Otherwise, the court should decline to issue an order that would prevent it from resolving pending motions or handling aspects of the case unrelated to the appeal. So Special Counsel Jack Smith saying, look, there is a divestiture. It relates to the narrow issues subject of Donald Trump's appeal. There's no need to take away this March 4th, 2024 trial date. Keep that on schedule. While the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals resolves what it needs to resolve regarding Donald Trump's appeal, let's go through the discovery. We'll give you all of our motions. We'll give you everything that we need to give you. And then once the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, any of the other issues that need to be taken up, we'll take up. But we'll have that March 4th, 2024 trial date ready to go. Special Counsel Jack Smith's motion right there. Um, and again, I think he takes a nice, narrow, surgical approach to order is affirmed during the pendency of the defendant's appeal. The government will meet every pretrial deadline the court has set forth. Then, as soon as the mandate returns, the court can promptly resolve any remaining issues and start the trial. And one of the cases Special Counsel Jack Smith cites here is a case called United States v. Jefferson, a case before the Eastern District of Virginia Federal Court that determined that it was appropriate as a matter of prudence during an interlocutory appeal like the one that's taking place now as Trump appeals the denial of his motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds. It is prudent to schedule a trial date so that the court and the parties may make appropriate plans. And that case seems to be on point as well. The Griggs case, divestiture rule, and it's called divestiture when it divests, when it removes jurisdiction from a district court. So the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal. So Trump filed a notice of appeal. Special counsel Jack Smith recognizes that this Griggs divestiture rule divesting the district court of some powers applies because a notice of appeal was filed. Then it's says the Griggs divestiture rule applies automatically upon the filing of a notice of appeal, obviating the need for a separate stay order. And the stay order the defendant seeks to stay all district court proceeding goes far beyond the Griggs rule. The court should not assume at this juncture that no issue can arise that is not involved in this appeal. For example, the circuit recently returned the mandate on the court's Rule 57.7 order regarding extrajudicial statements. That's the gag order that was uh, reimposed on Donald Trump and affirmed in most parts. And the court has jurisdiction to administer that order. Likewise, nothing about the defendant's appeal prevents the court from continuing to enforce, including if necessary, by order briefing or holding hearings. 
the protective orders governing discovery and the order imposing conditions of release on the defendant. So if he violates it, in other words, judge, you can remand him into custody, throw him in jail. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on cheap nicer? Is so confident in their product, it's motions already before it, including the loved one this holiday season. In addition, while the appeal is pending, the court can make headway on the motions already before it, including the defendant's motions to dismiss based on statutory grounds and selective and vindictive prosecution. The court can and should properly deny these motions under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 37, which provides that a district court retains authority to deny pending motions that it otherwise, quote, lacks authority to grant because of an appeal that has been docketed and is pending. In other words, Judge, you've got discovery before you. You've got motions to dismiss other than the one that's now on appeal. Let's use this time while Donald Trump has filed this notice of appeal before the D.C. Circuit on the issue of absolute presidential immunity to get to work. Let's make headway on the case. Let's proceed as though we're heading to trial. And that's all consistent with the Griggs Doctrine. That's all consistent with Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 37 and the related case law here. For its part, in light of the public's strong interest in a prompt trial, the government will seek to ensure that the trial proceeds as scheduled. In particular, the government will continue to meet all of the deadlines in the court's pretrial schedule. This means that while the appeal is pending, although the defendant will not be subjected to the burdens of litigation, the government will continue to shoulder its own burden. Accordingly, the government will provide the defendant and the court with any notice required by the pretrial schedule and more, including depending on the length of the appellate process, the government's exhibit list, motion eliminating, and other pleadings pertaining to the government's trial presentation, any filings the government makes according to the court schedule while the appeal is pending can then promptly be litigated if the court's order is affirmed and the mandate is returned. To the extent the defendant is seeking a stay pending his appeal of matters implicating those aspects of the case involved in the appeal, the court should deny his motion as unnecessary and duplicative the divestiture occurred when the defendant filed his notice of appeal. Otherwise, the court should decline to issue an order that would prevent it from resolving pending motions or handling aspects of the case unrelated to the appeal. So Special Counsel Jack Smith saying, look, there is a divestiture. It relates to the narrow issues subject of Donald Trump's appeal. There's no need to take away this March 4th, 2024 trial date. Keep that on schedule. While the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals resolves what it needs to resolve regarding Donald Trump's appeal, let's go through the discovery. We'll give you all of our motions. We'll give you everything that we need to give you. And then once the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, any of the other issues that need to be taken up, we'll take up. But we'll have that March 4th, 2024 trial date ready to go. Special Counsel Jack Smith's motion right there. Um, and again, I think he takes a nice, narrow, surgical approach to this. You know, unlike Donald Trump in Trump's motions, who never concedes anything, overstates the law, misstates the law, lies about the law, and loses all credibility, Jack Smith's like, look, there's a narrow divestiture 
It shouldn't affect everything else. And then we'll proceed in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. I'm sure he will and, and his team will on an expedited basis while other things proceed before Judge Chutkin. So that's where we're at now. We'll keep you posted when Judge Chutkin makes her order. Donald Trump's been given the opportunity to file a reply, which he will do in the next, I think, two days. His reply is due. And then separately, what we'll see happen is a briefing schedule being requested on Trump's appeal before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. How quick, how expedited that process will be um, is going to be important ultimately in maintaining that March 4th, 2024 trial date. So we'll keep you posted on that as well. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. And check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great one. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. Okay. Hey there, welcome back. Tish James is doing a great job. Just listen to how Jack Smith is dealing with refuting an appeal and uh, New York Attorney General Tish James is doing a stellar job as well I'd love to listen Donate more today to her. for your chance to have a cup of coffee with President Biden and me I thought it was Karen saying that. he is so firmly against what is happening in this court and so firmly for the old America that we know, not this America, that he will take that stand on Monday. He will open himself up to whatever they want because he's not afraid. People that are afraid cower. President Trump doesn't cower. We'll be back on Monday. Donald Trump confirmed on Sunday that he will not be testifying on Monday in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case on direct examination as he and his lawyers promised he would. I'm Ben Mycellus. This is the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump put out a long, rambling statement on Sunday filled with big lie after big lie, but concluded with the following. Based on the above and the fact that our unassailable final expert witness has been so strong and irrefutable in his testimony, which will conclude on Tuesday, and that I have already testified to everything and have nothing more to say other than that this is a complete and total election interference, parentheses, Biden campaign, exclamation point, witch hunt, that will do nothing but keep business out of New York. I will not be testifying on Monday, MAGA, exclamation point, and all of that is in caps. It was fairly easy to predict that Donald Trump was going to come up with excuses not to testify. This is Donald Trump's M.O. Remember when Alina Hoppe said that she believed Donald Trump was going to testify when he was subpoenaed before the January 6th committee, and that in all of her cases, he testifies. That's not true. But remember when Alina Hoppe said this back on October of 2022, when Trump was subpoenaed, play this clip. He's got a couple options here. He can ignore the subpoena and maybe run into Bannon world, or he could go and plead the fifth, or he can go and, and testify. Any idea what you think he's going to do? And what would you recommend? I would recommend that he cooperate because when you have nothing to hide, that's what I always recommend. The same reason that he always uh, comes out and, and speaks on any of my cases. 
he um, has no issue being deposed, even though the left-wing media would like to pretend that he does. He has no issue being subpoenaed and answering questions about what happened that day, and, and he shouldn't. Um, what he did was very public, and it, it was really nothing um, other than to say to uh, go out peacefully, as we know. Yeah, Donald Trump did not show up for that. As I posted on uh, my social media, it's fairly obvious that Trump was not going to testify. It was easy to predict when you understand his pathology. I wrote, predicting Trump was not going to testify on direct examination at the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial was pretty obvious. He wears his pathology on his sleeve. He's a malignant narcissist, a pathological liar, a sociopath, but fundamentally at his core, he is a total coward. So to be clear, Donald Trump was hauled into court on cross-examination by the New York Attorney General in their case. The New York Attorney General is the plaintiff in the case. They're prosecuting the action against Donald Trump, his adult children, Don Jr. and Eric and others, and the Trump Organization and the Trump uh, Revocable Trust. They called Donald Trump on cross-exam. Donald Trump did not testify, though, on direct exam after the cross-exam when the New York Attorney General called him as a witness. Donald Trump was just kind of just rambling, incriminating himself. And as I said back then, normally what would have occurred is that the lawyers for Donald Trump would say, even though normally uh, the direct exam would have to remain within the scope of a cross-exam where a witness like Trump is called by the plaintiff's case as an adverse witness in the plaintiff's case in chief before being recalled in the defense uh, case, uh, no normally the defense lawyer would go to the judge and say, we just want the witness to be called once, so we want to go outside the scope of the direct, and we'll ask Donald Trump all of our questions. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't enter into a deal with the prosecutors to even call Donald Trump first on direct, and then perhaps have the New York Attorney General then do the cross-exam. So that was always a red flag. Obviously, Donald Trump's pathology of being a massive coward was another red flag that he was not going to testify. Then Eric Trump stated that he was not going to testify, and Donald Trump put some weird message about how um, my son at such a young age, at a tender young age, his life is being ruined, and just some whiny statement like that. Here's what he goes. I told my wonderful son Eric not to testify at the rigged trial. He then says his young life has already been unfairly disturbed or disrupted enough on this corrupt witch hunt. Besides, I will be testifying on Monday in this shameful no jury allowed trials with Donald Trump said, well, obviously Donald Trump's not testifying. So that was another red flag that Donald Trump was not going to testify. And then his lawyer, Alina Haba, started making the excuses that Donald Trump might not testify at the end of last week. And she stated, because the appellate division reimposed the gag order, which just limited Donald Trump's ability to attack Judge Ngoron's principal law clerk, she said that that made it very difficult for him to testify. She said he's still going to testify on Monday, which he's not, but she said he will. But the fact that that gag order is reimposed 
recall that earlier in the week as well, we reported that Trump's lawyer, Christopher Keis, made a motion to the court to allow Donald Trump's testimony to be delayed until after all of the appeals process, all the way up to New York's highest court, resolved the issue of the gag order, which was put back into place by the appellate division. And Judge Ngoron and the New York attorney generals were like, uh, uh, lawyers were like, absolutely not. So that was a red flag as well, where Christopher Keis was basically saying, Donald Trump thinks he can't testify fairly while a gag order is imposed on the stand, which merely precludes him from attacking the judge's principal law clerk. What? I mean, that's just more excuses from the total coward. Alina Habba went on Fox, and she said this on Friday. And again, even though she said Trump was going to testify, it was obvious that he was not going to, but you show this clip. Can you tell us now whether or not he will definitely testify on Monday, Alina? Yeah, let me be very clear. I discouraged the former president from getting on a stand with a gag order. I would never discourage the former president from testifying because, uh, quite honestly, our plan up until now was to have him testify. He always wanted to testify, and he should testify. When he has nothing to hide, it's the best thing you could do is put this great witness on that is going to stand up and tell you the truth. But the judge in this matter this week, we asked him to lift the gag order so that he could testify fully and completely. If he sees people whispering and creating a ruckus next to him, and he has a right to address that so that the record is complete, and so do his lawyers. Uh, that was why we said, this is not fair, this is rigged, this is a banana republic. Don't give them the, the energy of you coming in the room. Now, he already has taken the stand on this case. He took the stand on the case in the AG's case. Now we want him on our case. But I would say, and I still say, that having any client get on a stand with a gag order as limited or large as this is a First Amendment violation, and you should not respect the court and give them the opportunity to hear you. But he is going to take the stand regardless, and he will navigate it. Oh, hey, when did you get here? Let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Henson Shaving. Look, everyone knows how annoying cheap razors are. The cuts, the irritation, the frustration. And don't get me started with subscription razor services. The headaches that those can cause. That's why you gotta meet Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the ISS. That's the International Space Station and Mars Rover. And now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Razor blades, they're like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble, the more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave, it, it isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just .0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. It gets better. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no obsolescence. The Henson razor, it works with standard dual-edge blades to give you that old-school shave with the benefit of new-school tech. Once you own the Henson razor, it's only about $3 to $5 per year to replace the blades. My first shave with the Henson razor was incredibly refreshing. The design is sleek and the durability is top notch. 
the Henson Razor is truly much better than your run-of-the-mill quote-unquote traditional razor brand. And the affordability factor is absolutely game-changing. No more wasting your money on expensive blades. With Henson Shaving, you get a year of blades for just $5. Okay, so here's what you have to do. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com slash Midas to pick the razor for you and use code Midas and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com slash Midas and use code Midas. And then on Sunday, Donald Trump announces that he is not testifying on Monday. Here's the point I want to make, though. Again, Eric, Donald Trump, these are supposed to be the people who are the leaders of the Trump organization. So while they were cross-examined as adverse witnesses, you would expect that they would want to, like anybody similarly situated, would want to testify on direct examination unless you feel that you're going to incriminate yourself. You remember that moment where Donald Trump wanted to tell his whole story and read these notes and Judge Ngoron said, I'm not here to hear what you just want to talk about. I'm here to listen to your answers to the questions on cross-examination. And Trump would have the opportunity to tell his story, go through his financials, go through everything on direct exam where his lawyers can build a foundation and ask him all of the questions about the Trump organization. Let's go through the finances, Mr. Trump. What is this document depicting? Say, oh, those are depicting my 2017 financial, 2015 financials. Okay, Mr. Trump. And are these true and accurate financials of ours? Yes. And what do you see here? I see 40 Wall Street. You see the valuation there. Oh, I see the valuation. The valuation says this amount. The New York Attorney General's office is saying it's inaccurate. Are you aware that that is their contention? Oh, I'm aware of that's their contention. Well, Mr. Trump, can you explain to the judge? why you believe this is accurate and you go through each that's direct exam you go through each line with the witness over and over and over again and then you can show the judge i've been diligent look what i did here's how i was involved with the professionals you just go through it one by one that's what you would expect somebody to do here in a case if they were not liable if they ran their business above board but here trump and eric refusing to testify on direct exam. And I'll, I'll leave you with this too. This is a civil case. It's not a criminal case. In a criminal case, Donald Trump could, um, again, invoke his Fifth Amendment right, and you couldn't comment on that in a criminal case. In a civil case, Donald Trump, if he invoked his Fifth like he did once before in a deposition, that could be used as an adverse inference, but he did testify on cross-exam so that there was not an adverse inference there. So because he's testified on cross-exam, technically he's not required to testify. He's not forced to testify, but he and Eric, specifically him, would be the main witness. So the fact that he's not testifying in his own defense through direct exam from his own lawyers tells you everything you need to know. And by the way, 
this was so obvious to us. You go back to the legal AFs we were doing months ago. You go back to the interviews we were doing months ago. Go back to the hot takes we were doing. We called it because it's you, you need to study the pathology. Um, we could study it together. You don't need to do it. We'll study. But when you understand the pathology, you understand his moves. And his moves are simple. They are rooted in kind of fear and hate. And you can fairly quickly predict the next move based on based on his pathology. And you see it right here again. Too cowardly to show up. Clearly, that's going to be something Judge Ngoron will note in the final order. Not surprising, not surprising one bit, but just goes to show you that not only the wannabe dictator has no clothes, bad picture to even think about, but it is utterly foolish, nonsense, pathetic, cowardly, putrid, go on, come up with your words, put them in the comments below. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have a good one. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. <laughs> Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Midas she Touch. don't need Keep no Instagram. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Just posted. I am telling you, these are the pants. Look no further because you found them. Literally everywhere I go, people compliment me on these pants. These are basically like this. Michael Popak, Legal AF, as expected, Jack Smith and the special counsel's office has opposed Donald Trump's efforts to stop the March trial date in the T.C. election interference case from going forward. He's argued, Donald Trump, that because he filed an appeal arguing that the judge got it wrong, that he does not have presidential or other immunity against the indictment and the indicted conduct that makes up the D.C. election interference case, the four counts of criminal conspiracy brought against him. He's not immune for that, so the argument goes, so Judge Chutkin has ruled. And yes, as expected, Donald Trump took an appeal to an, as of right now, unknown three-judge panel of the D.C. Court of Appeals. He's also argued to the judge that she should stay all aspects of the case, don't move it forward, don't allow it to He's even gone so far, Donald Trump, to say he's not going to participate in anything while the motion is pending, citing a rule of law based on a case called Griggs. And in the Griggs decision, which is Griggs versus Provident Consumer Discount Company, for those playing the Supreme Court precedent home game, a case from 1982, when an appeal is filed, it generally divests the trial court of its jurisdiction about things related to the now, Donald Trump will argue, well, everything is related to my appeal because it has to do with whether I'm immune or not. But as the government pointed out in this three-page filing on Sunday, timely filed on Sunday, the judge gave him till 5 o'clock and they timely filed it. As they argued, the government argued, there are lots of things that the trial judge can do to keep the train on the track, keep the wheels on the car to move this case to, towards the March 4th trial date. For instance, there are motions to dismiss that are currently pending, which even under the case cited by Donald Trump should be promptly denied, closed out, denied because of the pendency of this appeal. So in other words, Judge Chutkin, clear out all the low-hanging fruit procedurally, deny the other motions to dismiss, 
and, and, uh, and motions that have been filed by Donald Trump right now, and because Griggs itself, Griggs itself already bakes in a certain limited stay related to the appeal, then there's no there's no need the court uh, the, the uh, Department of Justice reminded Judge Chutkin to rule on this broader stay of all activity that Donald Trump is requesting. Just stay the aspects of it that relates to the immunity issue and let everything else move forward down the track towards March 4th. Now, I've got another argument that I actually thought was going to be raised by the Department of Justice. I mentioned this on Legal AF, our leading podcast at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. And I thought they'd actually give more support to Judge Chutkin uh, to deny the motion for stay, not on Griggs, but on the argument that um, it, as long if she finds that the argument that's raised, it, there's a, it's not likely that Donald Trump is going to prevail on appeal, right? It's not the likelihood of success is minimal or non-existent. She can deny the motion for stay. We've seen this in other federal cases involving appeals. Uh, we saw it uh, with Judge Jones in the Northern District of Georgia, for instance, when Mark Meadows appealed his ruling that he didn't he did not enjoy federal officer removal to take the Georgia criminal case state over to federal court judge jones said i'm not staying any of these proceedings in the uh, in the state court for instance because i don't think you're going to win your your appeal and i think that's the road that judge chutkin is going to go down and i'm a little bit surprised that the government in its three pages didn't spend an extra couple of pages they had plenty plenty of pages uh, to spare to argue that it was unlikely that Donald Trump was going to prevail on his appeal. Now that there's this brief is in an opposition, there's one more brief that comes on Tuesday with Donald Trump, and then we're going to have a decision relatively quickly, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning or so, by, uh, uh, by Judge Chutkin on the issue of whether the trial-level proceeding should be stayed while we await what happens for full briefing, oral argument, and decision at the appellate level. And now, as of the this particular hot take, the appellate court hasn't yet gotten together. They haven't uh, formed a panel yet, haven't been impaneled, and they haven't set a briefing schedule for the uh, appellate um, proceeding that Donald Trump has started by arguing that he is immune. We still are waiting for the judges, the briefing schedule, and the like. The clerk on Thursday or Friday did spit out an automatic message that set a date of middle to late December for certain events, but that's not uh, what we're looking at. What we're looking at is when the panel of the three judges in D.C. gets put together, how they set the briefing schedule. And there I think we're going to see the Department of Justice weigh in and move on an emergency or expedited basis to have this appeal move very, very quickly, briefed in a very short amount of time, oral argument in a very short amount of time, and a ruling in a short amount of time so it doesn't delay the March trial, that a March trial that's so important that the last court to consider it most recently, just this past week or so, um, said in regagging Donald Trump, same court, different three judges, said it is very important that the trial not be delayed, that justice de uh, delayed is justice denied, not just for Donald Trump, but for the American people, and that it is very important that before the election in November. Voters know whether Donald Trump has been acquitted, mistried, hanged jury, hung jury, or convicted. And so that was a message from one appellate panel 
of the D.C. Court of Appeals as binding precedent on the next panel that's to be established for the issue of the immunity. Have you ever wondered where your donation could have the most impact? In 2007, a group of donors had that exact question. But when they sought out information from charities to help them answer this question, they instead received cute pictures or unhelpful stories. Their experience led them to create GiveWell, an organization providing rigorous, transparent research about the best giving opportunities they found. GiveWell has now spent over 15 years researching charitable organizations and only directs funding to a few of the highest impact opportunities they found in global health and poverty alleviation. Over 100,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion. You that it was unlikely that Donald Trump was going to prevail on his appeal. Now that there's politics and justice, and I thought they'd actually give more support to Judge Chutkin uh, to deny the motion for stay, not on Griggs, but on the argument that um, it, as long if she finds that the argument that's raised if there's a, it's not likely that Donald Trump is going to prevail on appeal, right? It's not, the likelihood of success is minimal or non-existent. She can deny the motion for stay. We've seen this in other federal cases involving appeals. Uh, we saw it uh, with Judge Jones in the Northern District of Georgia, for instance, when Mark Meadows appealed his ruling that he, didn't, he did not enjoy federal officer removal take the Georgia criminal case state over to federal court. Judge Jones said, I'm not staying any of these proceedings in the uh, in the state court, for instance, because I don't think you're going to win your, your appeal. And I think that's the road that Judge Chutkin is going to go down. And I'm a little bit surprised that the government in its three pages didn't spend an extra couple of pages. They had plenty, plenty of pages uh, to spare to argue that it was unlikely that Donald Trump was going to prevail on his appeal. Now that there's this brief is in an opposition, there's one more brief that comes on Tuesday with Donald Trump, and then we're going to have a decision relatively quickly, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning or so, by, uh, uh, by Judge Chutkin on the issue of whether the trial-level proceeding should be stayed while we await what happens for full briefing, oral argument, and decision at the appellate level. And now, as of the, this particular hot take, the appellate court hasn't yet gotten together, they haven't uh, formed a panel yet, haven't been impaneled, and they haven't set a briefing schedule for the uh, appellate um, proceeding that Donald Trump has started by arguing that he is immune. We still are waiting for the judges, the briefing schedule, and the like. The clerk on Thursday or Friday did spit out an automatic message that set a date of middle to late December for certain events, but that's not uh, what we're looking at. What we're looking at is when the panel of the three judges in D.C. gets put together, how they set the briefing schedule. And there I think we're going to see the Department of Justice weigh in and move on an emergency or expedited basis to have this appeal move very, very quickly, briefed in a very short amount of time, oral argument in a very short amount of time, and a ruling in a short amount of time so it doesn't delay the, the March trial. That A March trial that's so important that the last court, to consider it 
most recently, just this past week or so, um, said in regagging Donald Trump, same court, different three judges, said it is very important that the trial not be delayed. That justice de uh, delayed is justice denied, not just for Donald Trump, but for the American people. And that it is very important that before the election in November, voters know whether Donald Trump has been acquitted, mistried, hanged jury, hung jury, or convicted. And so that was a message from one appellate panel of the D.C. Court of Appeals as binding precedent on the next panel that's to be established for the issue of the immunity. Have you ever wondered where your donation could have the most impact? In 2007, a group of donors had that exact question. But when they sought out information from charities to help them answer this question, they instead received cute pictures or unhelpful stories. Their experience led them to create GiveWell, an organization providing rigorous, transparent research about the best giving opportunities they found. GiveWell has now spent over 15 years researching charitable organizations and only directs funding to a few of the highest impact opportunities they found in global health and poverty alleviation. Over 100,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion. Rigorous evidence suggests that these donations will save over 150,000 lives and improve the lives of millions more. GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about high-impact giving. You can find all of their research and recommendations on their site for free. You can make tax-deductible donations to their recommended funds or charities, and GiveWell doesn't take a cut. I thought their approach to doing good was unique and interesting because of the immense amount of research and facts they are able to provide in a crystal clear way anyone can understand. That's why I use GiveWell, and you should too. If you've never donated through GiveWell before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year or as long as the matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Legal AF by Midas Touch at checkout. Make sure they know that you heard about GiveWell from Legal AF by Midas Touch to get your donation matched. Again, that's GiveWell.org to donate or find out more. Could randomly one of the judges from the appeal on the gag order end up on the immunity panel? Maybe, but it would be a completely random assignment. So we'll have to see whether Judge Pillar, Judge Millette, um, and the other judge that was assigned to the case end up on the new panel. And we're, we're going to report on all of that. What is going on with the final ruling by Judge Chutkin on the motion to stay, um, the precedent that's been set, and the new panel that will be in place to decide the immunity issue and how quickly they're going to decide that immunity issue and whether and how that impacts the March trial. All eyes are on the March trial. And if, you're, if you need a decoder ring on what Donald Trump's trying to do, Everything he's trying to do in D.C. is to delay the March trial and avoid the March trial if he can. For him, it's a numbers game. How many days are there between the March trial and the November election? And how many of those days can he eat up, waste, burn, uh, in order that the trial doesn't happen? So for him, if you're looking at March, April, May, June, July, you're looking at eight months. He's got to burn eight months. He can do that by late filing motions to dismiss it, which is what he recently did. File them very late in the game at the very end. Make Judge Chutkin have to make rulings on them 
then file appeals on them, then full briefing on appeals, then leave open the door for Supreme Court intervention or involvement, and suddenly your eight months that you got to kill is down to a month or two or less. And that's what we're watching with Donald Trump. And we'll report all of it right here on the Midas Touch Network, only on their YouTube channel. You're here already. <laughs> Keep watching and all the content that we provide. Legal AF is where I do all my work, my legal analysis and political analysis. It's on the Midas Touch Network. It's on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I co-founded the show, and I co-anchor it on those two days. And then pick it up on audio podcast platforms where, wherever you like, wherever you choose. We're on all of them. If you like this kind of hot take, thumbs up. It really does help. You're making a difference. It helps with the ratings. It keeps me on the air. So until my next hot take, until my next legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. told us about GoodRx to help us save money on our prescriptions. Did you know that people everywhere are recommending GoodRx? Antidepressants. Americans everywhere are sharing the savings. Another good reason to check GoodRx. Another good reason? Huh? More reasons why you shouldn't switch to the Internet's favorite laundry detergent. Did you know the Internet's favorite laundry detergent is... said it is very important that the trial not be delayed. That justice de uh, delayed is justice denied, not just for Donald Trump, but for the American people. And that it is very important that before the election in November, voters know whether Donald Trump has been acquitted, mistried, hanged jury, hung jury, or convicted. And so that was a message from one appellate panel of the D.C. Court of Appeals as binding precedent on the next panel that's to be established for the issue of the immunity. Have you ever wondered where your donation could have the most impact? In 2007, a group of donors had that exact question. But when they sought out information from charities to help them answer this question, they instead received cute pictures or unhelpful stories. Their experience led them to create GiveWell, an organization providing rigorous, transparent research about the best giving opportunities they found. GiveWell has now spent over 50... What's up, everyone? Coach D speaks with the Midas Touch Network. So in case you guys didn't know, serial loser Carrie Lake is now running for senator. Yeah, she's running to represent Arizona, the same state who handed her the L when she ran against Katie Hobbs for governor. And she's making all the stops. And what is she's doing? What Republicans always do, regurgitating the same talking points that they regurgitate during every election cycle. Check it out. Carrie, good to see you. Thanks very much for joining us. Assess what's happening in Arizona for us. Greg Abbott told us it's now the tip of the spear. The worst, the worst border in the whole country is the, in Arizona, and it's the Tucson sector. Those numbers are shocking, especially when you consider what they were a few years ago, where we barely had anybody coming across illegally under a great policy that President Trump had put in. And now we're seeing just one day, one morning, Maria, 
950 people poured across in the Tucson sector in one morning and 71% were just adults. This is not families coming across and we do have those, but the majority of these people are fighting age men. We are watching as we're being invaded and we're seeing a foreign army basically pour across our border. We talk a lot about Biden inflation, we have a Biden invasion happening on the border in Arizona, and it seems like we're not getting any attention from the White House, from D.C. We need to get this border wall completed. Oh, and this just this week, just this week, Maria, remember last time I was on, I was talking about how the Biden administration had welded open the gates so people could pour in. Yeah. Just this week, we saw cartel members moving in heavy equipment and literally chopping down parts of the wall. And a reporter was videotaping it, and they were blowing her kisses and laughing. This is what's happening. The, the cartels own and control our southern border. And this is really, in my opinion, an act of war. An act of war? Get the fuck out of here. An act of war from who, Kerry? You know, there must be an election coming around. Because Republicans are resurrecting the caravans and fear-mongering with talks about military or fighting-age men Pouring across the border. How about working age men, Carrie? How racist are Republicans to assume that if brown men are coming across the border, they must be terrorists? You know, maybe, just maybe they're dads coming here for seasonal work or a job so that they can send for their families later. How about assuming that brown men are coming here to afford their families a better life just like you would if they were white men? And, you know, I've said this many times, but they really just feed MAGAs the lies. Like, barely anyone came across the border during the Trump administration because of a great policy. What policy was that, Kerry? Because I seem to remember another caravan coming in 2017 and 18. You know, back when you guys were getting the MAGAs all scared for the midterms? It's crazy how they keep doing this and the MAGAs keep falling for it. They've used the caravan of military-aged men trope so many times, they can't even remember when they did. If you listen to Republicans, they should have had enough people here already to start a full military by now. And listen, when I tell you this has been the Republican pay playbook for years, believe it. Here's Trump saying basically the same thing recently. We're going to do a big deportation. We're going to get those bad ones out. Okay, so he's going to do a big deportation. And let me guess, he's also going to lock Hillary up. He's also going to fire Dr. Fauci, and he's also going to make Mexico pay for the wall. Remember, mental institutions, prisons, and terrorists are pouring into our country. What? So the caravans are bringing prisons and mental institutions with them. That's impressive. This dude is obviously in a cognitive decline right now, and he proves it even more next. We're right now the largest caravan. That was my term, I think. I have a lot of terms, a lot of good terms, but caravan was uh, my term. The largest caravan anyone's ever seen is right now coming up through Mexico. Thousands and thousands of people going to pour right into a country. We have no idea who they are. Bad things are going to happen. Very bad. I've got a lot of terms, a lot of terms, like caravans. That was one of my terms. And is it just me, or does it seem like they're hoping for a terrorist attack? And they're hoping that it's by a brown person. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, 
they were salivating about an accident at the northern border in hopes that it was a terrorist attack. They are literally disgusting people. And you gotta love how Carrie Lake and Donald Trump both lost, but somehow think they're going to parlay those losses into wins by feeding you the same old bullshit. My goodness. And make no mistake about it. It's all a money grab. Magas are always talking about how rich Donald Trump is and how he doesn't have to answer to anyone because he doesn't need their money. Yet he's always asking for donations. And Carrie Lake, she's just trying to get the 174K while still securing your donations so that she can keep partying in Mar-a-Lago. Republicans only know grifting. And truth be told, I kind of enjoy watching Magas going broke, falling for it. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Hey, Santi, did you get the new stimulus last night? The new stimulus, they just released it last night. Check your bank account. I don't know what you, I got paid. How much you get? start of a third world war and we will soon be hit with a silent untraceable attack on america that unfortunately very few will see coming this attack will be unlike any we have seen or experienced before one that directly targets american power grids and critical infrastructure that will lead to a year-long famine that will bring america to its knees and starve us into submission i know some patriots have been preparing for this eventuality, but stockpiling and growing your own food is simply not enough because this marks just the first phase of the well-orchestrated attack on America. And with Sleepy Joe and his team of incompetence at the helm, people will soon realize no one is coming to save them. Then it will be every man for himself, and the looting will begin. Supermarkets will be ransacked. Local gangs and marauders will target anyone who looks like easy pickings, and by the end of the first week, Millions of unprepared, desperate, hungry Americans will be eating from garbage cans if they are lucky. And that's exactly what our enemies want, to destroy our great nation from the inside. But the reality is you do not have to be a victim. There is something you can do to prepare. I'd like to introduce you to a good friend, Teddy Daniels. He is a United States war hero, a White House insider, and a Purple Heart recipient. And he has just released an emergency broadcast that reveals the one thing you must do in the first hour of the attack. And that will guarantee you will have food safely secured for you and your family for the entire year. It's a simple empty closet hack that anyone can do as long as you have three feet of copper wire. Seeing this right now makes you one of the lucky ones. Because when the attack happens, most Americans will have no idea what hit them, but not you. 
you'll be in complete control. And that puts a lot of power in your hands. Yes, others may laugh when they see you quietly preparing for this imminent attack. But once our farmlands and food supply are completely ransacked, those woke millennials won't be laughing anymore. They will be starving, wishing they had prepared while you and your family prosper and thrive. But you need to move fast. Teddy Daniels has shown me on good authority this attack could start as soon as next week. So I urge any American or true patriot to watch Teddy Daniels' emergency broadcast right now before it gets taken down again by the powers that be to protect their controlling interests. Watch it now while you still can, like your life depends on it. Because it does. <sighs> What's up, everyone? Coach D speaks with the Midas Touch Network. So, there is no way Lauren Bobert's staff likes her. There just is no way because they keep giving her bad intel and allowing her to go and make a fool of herself. Today she was in a congressional hearing and she's asking questions that prove she has no idea what she's talking about and that proves she doesn't know who she's talking to. Like, the man was ready for everything she had to say. I mean, seriously, outside of her sexcapades in the public theater, there are so many reasons why she doesn't belong as a member of the House. I mean, this exchange is so embarrassing for America. I have secondhand embarrassment watching it. You all are allowing delinquent employees to sit on their sofas at home instead of actually getting to work and doing their jobs. Uh, this is absolutely unacceptable. So our employees are working whether they are in the office or at home. and they Are, are you monitoring the work that they are doing from home on a regular basis? Yes, we are. This is like the same way I feel when people say teachers aren't working when they're teaching online. The amount of work that goes into setting up a shell to teach an online class took me a lot more than it does to teach inside the class. But the fact that he just lets her know, like, no, they're not just sitting at home on their butts. They're working. Like, we all know people since the pandemic who started working at home and their employees realize, hey, you know what? We don't need these people inside of buildings. Why are we paying rent for these buildings when they're able to do the same work from their home computers? Like, if the production is being done, it doesn't matter where it's being done. But she just looks so bad there. And, and, and now, like she's done in the past when she's realized, oh, dang, uh, I just messed up. She then starts tripping over her words. She has nowhere else to go because she thought that was a gotcha moment, and then he shut her up. And now she has to ask a follow-up question that makes her sound even worse. Every every employee, do you have do you have the numbers of the hours that are submitted? Are, are you counting how many times they're logging into their computers and responding to casework? Yeah, but are you guys looking at um, when they are uh, are they um, when they are logging in? And if they're all, um, oh, they got me again. She looks so bad. Colorado, this your representative? 
Seriously? And then he just literally smacks her down even worse. So our employees are subject to the same performance management processes and oversight they are, whether they're teleworking or working in the office. And we have systems in place that our managers use to schedule, assign, and track workloads. And that includes individual employee workloads in many cases. So real-time understanding of what actions are being processed at any particular given time. Additionally, okay, in all seriousness, that was my favorite part. When he looked at her and went, additionally, it was like, I'm about to give you more right now. Our employees are required to be accessible to their supervisors, clients, colleagues, and external parties during work hours free of a variety of means, including instant messaging, video platforms, and telephone. They are connected to the workplace, whether they are in the office or at the home. Then why is the backlogs for Social Security applicants increased from 41,000 to 10700000 Because we've been historically underfunded for a number of years now. I don't you're, think you're underfunded. You're, you're funded at the Nancy Pelosi levels. At the Democrat levels, we just continued that same funding. So I would say... At pandemic-level spending. So there she is again, making a fool of herself. She thought she had another gotcha moment there. She's like, well, why are you guys uh, have so many backlogs? And he says... We're historically underfunded. He didn't say we're underfunded by Republicans or we're underfunded by Democrats. He said we're historically underfunded. And she says, well, you guys are at Nancy Pelosi level funding. You're at the Democrat level funding, pre-pandemic level funding. And he's like, I don't care who's underfunding us. We're historically underfunded. And then he gives her the business again. So I'd say we'd have an increase of over 8 million beneficiaries over the last 10 years at the same time we experienced our lowest work staffing levels at the end of FY22. That's a math problem. I mean, that is a problem. If you have those workloads you know, increasing and you don't have the staff to take care of those workloads, you're going to have the backlogs that you're talking about, Representative. Well, I would love to see... To be a fly on the wall when she went back to her office and yelled at her staffers. And I bet you they knew, too. They knew when they gave her the money, they gave her the information. They were like, you know what? This is going to get us yelled at. But it's worth it seeing her make a fool of herself because i'm telling you right now she does not do the homework it's not her information that she's looking at there she has a bunch of staffers looking up stuff for her and then handing it to her and that's why she sounds like she just read it right there on the spot live it's so embarrassing that we have people like this who are representing our country this is why i say so often that the republican party is fundamentally unserious. They don't care about governing. They don't care about doing their job. They don't care about leading. They just care about grifting. They just care about power. They just care about money. They just care about staying in office. That is it. End of story, period. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Shop like a billionaire. Get it today. My doctor told us about GoodRx to help us save money on our prescriptions. Did you know that people everywhere are recommending GoodRx? And deep breath in. Americans everywhere are sharing the savings. Another good reason to check GoodRx.
Donald Trump is facing setbacks in two cases. We have those stories, both of them, later tonight. Well, we begin right now with the news in the new book by former Congresswoman Liz Cheney. As you just heard, she is out on book tour, but she's saying some pretty newsworthy and important things. A little context up front. You know Liz Cheney, but let's recall that she's a politician who emerged from the hard right flank of the Bush-Cheney era. She rose to Republican Party leadership in the House, where she added some gravitas. She was the highest-ranking woman at one point in the GOP. Today, when you think about it, former Speaker McCarthy lost his post because of MAGA insurgents. Cheney lost her entire job and political career, at least as far as Congress is concerned, all because she stood up against Trump's coup. When it occurred in the days after, she was clear on the floor of the House and in the impeachment process that we cannot sit by and allow coups and attacks on democracy in this country. That was the baseline. That was it. That proved to be too much in the clash between the loser of the 2020 race and the MAGA fever in Republican districts. Following that fever, many party elites turned on Cheney. But she went to co-chair the January 6th committee, which investigated that insurrection. She's now making headlines like this with the new book. She's speaking out in these interviews. I should mention she will join Rachel here on MSNBC in a few hours tonight and join Nicole tomorrow. Here was Cheney this morning on Trump's threat and her former colleagues in Congress. People who say, well, if he's elected, it's not that dangerous because we have all of these checks and balances, don't fully understand the extent to which the Republicans in Congress today um, have been co-opted. One of the things that we see happening today is sort of a, a sleepwalking into a dictatorship in the United States. Dictatorship in the United States. That is a strong warning. To many, that word, that concept, that idea evokes something that is viewed as external to the U.S., of leaders somewhere else or in some other time, some other era. That habit of thinking is wrong. It's why there are entire books about how it can, quote, happen here to push Americans to understand the threat and the way both democracies and dictatorships operate. It's why historians are now comparing what Donald Trump is saying in public on the campaign trail to dictators like Mussolini when he dehumanizes our fellow citizens in this country as, quote, vermin who must be rooted out. And Cheney, who staked her career on this, is saying this threat is now here. She is carefully and precisely warning how she views Donald Trump as a would-be dictator like Mussolini or Mao, that if he does win next year, based on everything she's learned, and remember the high level of the Republican Party that she reached, she is now certain, based on the evidence, he would try to then stay in power forever. Do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? That he would never leave office? There's no question. There's you think no he would question. try to stay in power forever? Absolutely. I mean, he's already done it once. He's already attempted to seize power. And he was stopped, um, thankfully, and, and for the good of the nation and the republic, uh, but, but he said he will do it again. He's expressed no remorse for what he did. Everything you heard her say there is a public fact. It's not contested in the actual reality of people who follow facts and evidence. And so it matters that we are witnessing here a failed U.S. coup leader run for re-election without remorse, 
without taking any of it back, let alone yet facing real accountability. Now, obviously, historical comparisons can be debated, but Trump's embrace of dictators is well known from Russia to China, a state which does not use democracy to organize itself. Trump actually backed the Chinese government's crushing of dissent. A new piece in The Times unearths his comments from 1990, how the then authoritarian Chinese government killed demonstrators in Tiananmen Square, hundreds of innocent students. Trump said that back then that the killings which he was aware of. He said when the students poured into Tiananmen Square, the Chinese government was vicious, horrible, but they put it down with strength. And he then said something that he's, of course, repeated many times. Our country right now is perceived as weak in contrast to what he called strength. Now, these new warnings about Trump are not confined to the political figures who may clash with him. You could bring this up at your, you know, Christmas or holiday gatherings and have a Republican member of the family say, well, but Cheney and him are opponents now, and they did become opponents, but only because she opposed the coup. But you can widen beyond that and look at the independent reporting, which is tracing the signs that a second Trump term would be more radical with authoritarian tactics. The Times has a report on that, noting the forces which had contained his autocratic tendencies would be weaker. That America is putting it mildly. Whether one likes Donald Trump's policies and politics or think his policies or what he did are worth the downside, there's a whole right-wing movement to over, overturn Roe v. Wade that wanted that bargain, and they got their policy part. That's subjective. But it is not up for debate. It is not subjective that Donald Trump, as a fact, has opposed democracy and acted to overthrow it, to foment an insurrection, to stage a coup. Some of these facts occurred in very open public. Some were more hidden and exposed over time by independent accounts, by the probe Cheney and others led. Some of those plots, as we've shown you in these arrows, are now indicted and convicted. We've tracked this for years now, this coup conspiracy. This is all documented. Whether or not Donald Trump is convicted of coup-related crimes in March is a legal question, but the coup attempts, which other people have already been convicted of, are already facts. A second Trump term would be a life term in his mind. And we have the documented efforts, we have the facts and the public perception that matter here. So Cheney's stance may matter for the real world fact that people may listen to her more than they listen to some other sources. And we're seeing signs of these wider warnings as the Republican primary voting begins next month. Here's a new big special from the Atlantic, which features many people speaking out, including another Bush Cheney administration veteran, David Frum arguing that Trump actually had a, a kind of a competence problem in his first term, where his own ignorance of the system mitigated what Trump calls his, quote, corruption and brutality. Well, in a second term, Trump would arrive with a better understanding of the system's vulnerabilities and more willing enablers in tow. Now, another Bush-Cheney official has also concluded that when you take it all together, Trump has basically dissolved the actual Republican Party. Are you going to let the greedy heating companies and their crazy high prices decide if your family is allowed to stay warm this winter? Here's how a former NASA engineer from Michigan is taking on the billion-dollar heating industry with an invention that's helping families around the country stay warm inside this winter without having to pay for expensive heating or buy dangerous space heaters. Picture this. A major blizzard has just ripped through the region with feet after feet of heavy snowfall leaving local residents stranded in their homes. The central heating system in the house of your disabled elderly parents stopped working three days 
ago, leaving them without any source of heat and no service company able to help them. That's the situation the former NASA engineer and husband from Michigan was facing. Today, that same man is destroying the billion-dollar heating industry and helping families around the country by building a device smaller than a smartphone that can heat any room to over 80 degrees Fahrenheit in less than 80 seconds. Steve designed the invention after a region-wide blizzard left him, his wife, and elderly parents without central heating in the dead of winter. With temperatures in the unbearably cold house reaching 35 degrees and no sign of when snow crews would clear the roads for the heating company to send a technician, Steve was worried for his parents' well-being. So, he took matters into his own hands. As a former NASA engineer who worked on rapid heating systems to keep astronauts from freezing to death while in space, Steve reverse-engineered the existing heating unit in his house using the same ultra-efficient ceramic heating technology. He built a more efficient heating device that, when plugged directly into any home outlet, immediately heats up the ceramic heating unit and blows the resulting hot air for up to 12 hours at a time. When he plugged in the small device, temperatures in the freezing cold living room jumped from 34 to 85 degrees in less than 90 seconds. Amazed at the results, Steve put the device through controlled testing a few days later. Unlike central heating, which on average takes more than 30 minutes, uses tons of power and burns through hundreds of months in the winter, the small and lightweight design of Steve's wall heater allowed the device to heat up the room by 50 degrees in about 80 seconds, run for over 12 hours, and cost just pennies per day. It didn't take long for Steve to... For listening to the latest Midas Touch clips. Like Lawrence. Lawrence O'Donnell. How did you get off metformin? I used the 10 second peanut trick. What's the 10 second peanut trick? It's a delicious way to re- new book by former Congresswoman Liz Cheney. As you just heard, she is out on book tour, but she's saying some pretty newsworthy and important things. A little context up front. You know Liz Cheney, but let's recall that she's a politician who emerged from the hard right flank of the Bush-Cheney era. She rose to Republican Party leadership in the House, where she added some gravitas. She was the highest ranking woman at one point in the GOP. Today, when you think about it, former Speaker McCarthy lost his post because of MAGA insurgents. Cheney lost her entire job and political career, at least as far as Congress is concerned, all because she stood up against Trump's coup. When it occurred in the days after, she was clear on the floor of the House and in the impeachment process that we cannot sit by and allow coups and attacks on democracy in this country. That was the baseline. That was it. That proved to be too much in the clash between the loser of the 2020 race and the MAGA fever in Republican districts. Following that fever, many party elites turned on Cheney. But she went to co-chair the January 6th committee, which investigated that insurrection. She's now making headlines like this with the new book. She's speaking out in these interviews. I should mention she will join Rachel here on MSNBC in a few hours tonight and join Nicole tomorrow. Here was Cheney this morning on Trump's threat and her former colleagues in Congress. People who say, well, if he's elected, it's not that dangerous because we have all of these checks and balances, don't fully understand the extent to which the Republicans in Congress today um, have been co-opted. One of the things that we see happening today is sort of a a sleepwalking into dictatorship in the United States. Dictatorship in the United States. That is a strong warning. To many, that word 
that concept, that idea evokes something that is viewed as external to the U.S., of leaders somewhere else or in some other time, some other era. That habit of thinking is wrong. It's why there are entire books about how it can, quote, happen here to push Americans to understand the threat and the way both democracies and dictatorships operate. It's why historians are now comparing what Donald Trump is saying in public on the campaign trail to dictators like Mussolini when he dehumanizes our fellow citizens in this country as, quote, vermin who must be rooted out. And Cheney, who staked her career on this, is saying this threat is now here. She is carefully and precisely warning how she views Donald Trump as a would-be dictator like Mussolini or Mao, that if he does win next year, based on everything she's learned, and remember the high level of the Republican Party that she reached, she is now certain, based on the evidence, he would try to then stay in power forever. Do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? That he would never leave office? There's no question. You think he would try to stay in power forever? Absolutely. I mean, he's already done it once. He's already attempted to seize power. And he was stopped, um, thankfully, and and for the good of the nation and the republic. Uh, but, But he said he will do it again. He's expressed no remorse for what he did. Everything you heard her say there is a public fact. It's not contested in the actual reality of people who follow facts and evidence. And so it matters that we are witnessing here a failed U.S. school leader run for re-election without remorse, without taking any of it back, let alone yet facing real accountability. Now, obviously, historical comparisons can be debated, but Trump's embrace of dictators is well known from Russia to China, a state which does not use democracy to organize itself. Trump actually backed the Chinese government's crushing of dissent. A new piece in The Times unearths his comments from 1990, how the then authoritarian Chinese government killed demonstrators in Tiananmen Square, hundreds of innocent students. Trump said that back then that the killings, which he was aware of, he said when the students poured into Tiananmen Square, the Chinese government was vicious, horrible, but they put it down with strength. And he then said something that he's, of course, repeated many times. Our country right now is perceived as weak in contrast to what he called strength. Now, these new warnings about Trump are not confined to the political figures who may clash with him. You could bring this up at your you know, Christmas or holiday gatherings and have a Republican member of the family say, well, but Cheney and him are opponents now. And they did become opponents, but only because she opposed the coup. But you can widen beyond that and look at the independent reporting, which is tracing the signs that a second Trump term would be more radical with authoritarian tactics. The Times has a report on that, noting the forces which had contained his autocratic tendencies would be weaker. That America is putting it mildly. Whether one likes Donald Trump's policies and politics or think his policies or what he did are worth the downside, there's a whole right-wing movement to over, overturn Roe v. Wade that wanted that bargain, and they got their policy part. That's subjective. But it is not up for debate. It is not subjective that Donald Trump, as a fact, has opposed democracy and acted to overthrow it, to foment an insurrection, to stage a coup. Some of these facts occurred in very open public. Some were more hidden and exposed over time by independent accounts, by the probe, Cheney, and others led. Some of those plots, as we've shown you in these arrows, are now indicted and convicted. 
We've tracked this for years now, this coup conspiracy. This is all documented. Whether or not Donald Trump is convicted of coup-related crimes in March is a legal question, but the coup attempts, which other people have already been convicted of, are already facts. A second Trump term would be a life term in his mind. And we have the documented efforts, we have the facts and the public perception that matter here. So Cheney's stance may matter for the real world fact that people may listen to her more than they listen to some other sources. And we're seeing signs of these wider warnings as the Republican primary voting begins next month. Here's a new big special from The Atlantic, which features many people speaking out, including another Bush Cheney administration veteran, David Frum, arguing that Trump actually had a, a kind of a competence problem in his first term where his own ignorance of the system mitigated what Trump calls his, quote, corruption and brutality. Well, in a second term, Trump would arrive with a better understanding of the system's vulnerabilities and more willing enablers in tow. Now, another Bush Cheney official has also concluded that when you take it all together, Trump has basically dissolved the actual Republican Party. I don't think there is a Republican Party. There is a cult around Donald Trump. They didn't, they didn't adopt a platform in 2020, which meant they didn't set out what they stood for. It was whatever Donald Trump tells us we should stand for today, that's what we'll stand for. So it's not a party as we have known it. Not a party, but a cult. Cults work on obedience, not through thought or debate. Modern authoritarian regimes also, they work off propaganda and conspiracy theories because the truth itself as an external reality you don't control is not how they work. They see truth and the belief in what is real or what is happening as one more tool of power to control things. Now, one more conservatively expert in this space, Robert Kagan, sounding the alarm that an American Trump dictatorship now looks increasingly inevitable. And where others see a cult, as I mentioned, he sees empire specifically, quote, like Caesar, Trump wields a clout that transcends the laws and institutions of government with unswerving personal loyalty of his army of followers. Now, democracy and human rights are a long way from empires that rule peasants or slaves. And while there are now some comedic takes online about how much people think about the Roman Empire these days, it is dead serious the notion of an actual Trump-led wannabe empire is the end of democracy. Which sounds like a bad thing, unless, by the way, you're part of this sort of half-trolling, half-serious right-wing online community, where some now push what they literally call red Caesarism as a kind of a code envisioning Trump as a new Caesar to deal with the collapse of the United States. Now, in that conspiracy theory, collapse is just another doomsday word which assumes the end of democracy that they actually want to enact, just as they went, some of them, to storm the Capitol, just as some of them are now in prison for that. Collapse is a passive word. Overthrowing a government is an active one, and that's what they of course, some of them are convicted of already having done. Now, one place that Trump did fail in all this in office was trying to get generals of the military to join his illegal plans. But he's trying to build more support for that right now as well, discussing what sound like illegal efforts to hijack existing federal law as a way to justify using the military to crush domestic unrest. Trump also has openly called for the murder or assassination of one of the generals he opposes, who wants to put more loyalists in government to enact the plans, including prosecuting opponents. All of this matters, and 
all of this is a part of what we're headed for next year. If you feel exhausted or more ready for the holidays or would rather watch something else or read something else or think about something else, I get that. But they are counting on that and a lot more in order to get where they want to go. And believe me, vigilance, engagement, civic participation is not only a duty of being in a democracy, but also really, if you want to look at it this way, a small price to pay for avoiding what might come. Where do we go from here? These are ancient atavistic problems for any society that seeks to be governed by something more than corrupt and oppressive mob rule. The singer Frank Ocean, I should say, the singer Frank Ocean boiled this down once to its essence. Human beings in a mob, what's a mob to a king? What's a king to a god? And what's a god to a non-believer who doesn't believe in anything? America is quite literally facing a mob that wants a king, with a king who wants to be a kind of god, with a mob that doesn't believe in facts or anything other than getting its way. That was dangerous in Rome. It's dangerous if you face that kind of non-believer in the Colosseum. And from what we can tell on the evidence with no deliberate alarmism, it is dangerous right now. And if you don't believe it when you hear it documented or in independent accounts, would you believe it when you hear so many of the Republican Party's former members and allies making this very specific warning about a red alert of red Caesarism, their term, their admission. See here. Learning just yeah. a minimum. Listen up, because I'm about to drop some serious news you need. Opportunities like this don't come often. Charlie, let's pick up a conversation you and I started a week ago Friday um, about the role of the media. Trump is re-upping um, some of his dirtiest smears against the media, calling uh, the networks of NBC and MSNBC, owned by our parent company Comcast, enemies of the people, again, accusing them of being against the country. Um, your thoughts? Well, I don't... What I suggested, I think it was a week ago, is that the news media has not yet figured out how to handle Donald Trump. He's not a normal candidate. This is totally abnormal. And yet there is that impulse that, okay, if uh, you know he's the front runner, we have to cover him. Yeah, you have to cover him. But you have to give him free airtime. You have to platform his fire hose of disinformation and malice. How do you deal with someone who lies this frequently or this volubly? or who poses such a threat to democratic norms. Do you treat him like every other candidate? The answer is no, you don't cover Donald Trump like you would any other candidate. Hi, my name is Suri Crow. I'm a journalist and contributor here on the Midas Touch Network. And the clip you just listened to is from conservative commentator and publisher Charlie Sykes, who is talking about the fact that the mainstream media has yet to really figure this conundrum of how to cover someone like Trump. Firstly, let me tell you this, that we need big legacy mainstream media, the CNNs, 
the networks, the CBSs, the NBCs, the ABCs, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, not only because they have some incredible journalists, but moreover, they have deep resources to deploy to news coverage. There's a huge difference between local news outlets, which are often operating on a bare-bones budget with minimum staff, and I can tell you that from personal experience, that as corporations purchase more and more local TV news outlets, they trim resources to make their bottom line more profitable, which means that reporters are now required to do so much more than they used to. For example, when I started in TV news, it was just go out and report the story, which is, trust me, really hard. Again, because you're often not just covering one story. By the time I left local TV news, it was go report the story immediately at the scene, put it on blast on social media. When you're still trying to figure out what the facts are of the story, interview people to get exactly what's going on. And then in many cases, reporters are also asked to be their own videographer to shoot and then edit the story. And then, of course, you write the story. And if you're going live, you do that. And then at the end of your 12 to 13 or 14 hour workday, then you're expected to come back and publish it on the station's website. So that is a breakneck pace that wears out even the hardiest and youngest reporters. It's, it's exhausting. Big legacy media companies, on the other hand, employ more staff, which allows them to cover topics on a much deeper, much more intensive level. They have big investigative news units, which is great. Sadly, many investigative news units have been cut out of local news outlets for the reasons I mentioned earlier. They you know, profit. That's what runs the show. And it's, it's sad. But anyway, many local newspapers have also shuttered because they just couldn't compete with large corporate media. All of this to say is that a local news reporter trying to turn anywhere from one to three or four stories a day is not going to be able to keep up with the fire hose of lies and disinformation coming from someone like Trump, and that is intentional. Trump lieutenant and complete toady Steve Bannon once admitted that the strategy behind getting Trump elected was flood the zone with shit. This is how propaganda works. They overwhelm you, like with a fire hose. I don't like going to Truth Social at all because it is exactly that, a flood zone of shit and lies. But it is in those nonstop disinformation posts in Trump's feed that I discovered that he is threatening to dismantle Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, which provides health care to 40 million Americans. He's, of course, saying that he'll find a replacement for it, but that's a lie. The Republican Party as a whole has never come up with an alternative to the now very popular Affordable Care Act. It, he's also, you remember when he was in office, he said he was going to improve America's infrastructure, rebuild all the airports and roads and bridges. Of course, he never did. It was another one of his lies. And it is now thanks to the Biden administration that America's roads, uh, railway systems, airports are being rebuilt. Thank you, President Biden, not Trump. Also on his feed, I discovered that he is has been, well, before the gag order was reinstated, he was doxing New York, New York Civil Court Judge Arthur and Goran's family, uh, including naming posts where it wasn't even Judge and Goran's wife, as well as his chief law clerk, inciting his mob followers to harass them. It makes my head spin to go on there, and that is exactly the way he and the MAGA mob wants it. Today, he's attacking Attorney General, New York Attorney General Letitia James in a series of racist and misogynistic posts. Just on brand for him. 
Trump and his mega mob blast lies into the media media ecostream to intentionally overwhelm the public. Listen to Lawrence O'Donnell, who is a host on MSNBC, talk about Trump's intentional strategy here. That's when it started. The American news media's failure to rise to the challenge of Donald Trump started in 2011 and has never stopped. I alone at the time said then that he was lying about sending people to Hawaii to investigate the birth certificate. Trump was surely amazed that he was able to get away with that kind of lie at the time. But he quickly learned how weak TV news could be in the real-time fact-checking And he relies on that weakness to this day. The news media is going to fail again in covering the Trump presidency. Now, I personally believe that Trump got way too much airtime in the run-up to the 2016 election. And I think that's sort of how we got here. He was just platformed by legacy media. But even then, the mainstream media did not come down hard enough in terms of reporting on, for example, Trump's lies about President Barack Obama's birth certificate. It was never, in my opinion, reported accurately as the full-blown racist and xenophobic attack that it was. And now he's threatening to take away health care from 40 million Americans. And that was not a big story when he said it. So this is my point. We need the mainstream media to pick up the pace, but we also need as many legitimate, accurate journalists out there covering all of this. And one of those journalists is uh, Brian Kloss, who is a writer for The Atlantic, which, in my opinion, is doing some of the best journalism out there right now. Kloss recently wrote this in a substack regarding Trump coverage in 2024. Here's what Kloss says. I hope others in the press listen. Bombarded by a constant stream of deranged authoritarian extremism from a man who might soon return to the presidency. We've lost all sense of scale and perspective, but neither the American press nor the public can afford to be lulled. The man who, as president, incited a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol in order to overturn an election is again openly fomenting political violence while explicitly endorsing authoritarian strategies should he return to power. That is the story of the 2024 election. Everything else is window dressing. I couldn't agree more. Speaking of the Atlantic, their January-February edition is dedicated solely to the damage and destruction that will befall America if Trump gets back into power. In 2016, many of these same writers and contributors accurately predicted much of the chaos and damage that Trump would in turn cause. And in this issue, they break it down topic by topic. It is a must read in my opinion, and I think it's a great holiday gift or stocking stuffer for the MAGA member in your family or friend circle. I've got, I've got an idea to maybe surprise a few mailboxes of, of people I know. So here is my take home point. We cannot become numb. Oh, it's just Trump being Trump. This is just the, the, what he does now. No, 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 no. Because he's very dangerous. Yes, he looks like an orange clown, but he remains a a huge threat and danger to our American way of life. The constant blast of chaos that Donald Trump creates can feel so exhausting. Trust me, I know it, but fascists want us to give up and just check out. Don't. Anybody from the MAGA extreme, and keep in mind that Donald Trump is telling us what he will do. He has outlined it in Project 2025, and he says it every day, every day. 
Everywhere he goes, he's telling us what he will do. Create concentration camps, get rid of health care, possibly imprison journalists and press outlets that he doesn't care for. Anyone critical of Trump will not be allowed to stay because this time if Trump gets back in, he's bringing with him a well-oiled machine of MAGA loyalists who will be far more effective in getting his agenda done. The last time we had people in the Trump administration who still, thank God, adhered to the Constitution and the rule of law, we won't have that next time around. Like, I cannot say this strongly, strongly enough. Trump remains a clear and present danger to America's democracy and freedoms. And I know there are many things we need to do better in this country. We need to get women's rights back up and so many other things. But it is going to be a disaster if he gets in. So please join me in the effort, the pro-democracy effort, right here on the Midas Touch Network. My name is Suri Crow. Thank you so much for watching. And I uh, Trump is a real danger to enemy of the people type for Donald knock him the fuck up Reporter ditched Sinclair shares how Trump exploits media. Trying to figure out what the facts are of the story, interview people to get exactly what's going on. And then in many cases, reporters are also asked to be their own videographer to shoot and then edit the story. And then, of course, you write the story. And if you're going live, you do that. And then at the end of your 12 to 13 or 14 hour workday, then you're expected to come back and publish it on the station. Publish website. it. So. That is a breakneck pace that wears out even the hardiest and youngest reporters. It's it's exhausting. Big legacy media companies, on the other hand, employ more staff, which allows them to cover what? topics on a much deeper, much more intensive level. They have big investigative news units, which is great. Sadly, many investigative news units have been cut out of local news outlets for the reasons I mentioned earlier. They you know, profit. That's what runs the show and it's it's sad but anyway many local newspapers have also shuttered because they just couldn't compete with large corporate media all of this to say is that a local news reporter trying to turn anywhere from one to three or four stories a day is not going to be able to keep up with the fire hose of lies and disinformation coming from someone like fire Trump. hose and that is intentional Trump lieutenant and complete toady Steve Bannon once admitted that the strategy behind getting Trump elected was flood the zone with shit. This is how propaganda works. They overwhelm you, like with a fire hose. I don't like going to Truth Social at all because it is exactly that, a flood zone of shit and lies. But it is in those nonstop disinformation posts in Trump's feed that I discovered that he is threatening to dismantle Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, which provides health care to 40 million Americans. He's, of course, saying that he'll find a replacement for it, but that's a lie. The Republican Party as a whole has never come up with an alternative to the now very popular Affordable Care Act. 
He's also, remember when he was in office, he said he was going to improve America's infrastructure, rebuild all the airports and roads and bridges. Of course, he never did. It was another one of his lies. And it is now thanks to the Biden administration that America's roads, uh, railway systems, airports are being rebuilt. Thank you, President Biden, not Trump. Also on his feed, I discovered that he is has been, well, before the gag law was reinstated, he was doxing New York, New York civil court judge Arthur and Goran's family, uh, including naming posts where it wasn't even Judge and Goran's wife, as well as his chief law clerk, inciting his mob followers to harass them. It makes my head spin to go on there, and that is exactly the way he and the MAGA mob wants it. Today, he's attacking Attorney General, New York Attorney General Letitia James, in a series of racist and misogynistic posts. Just on brand for him. Trump and his mega mob blast lies into the media media ecostream to intentionally overwhelm the public. Listen to Lawrence O'Donnell, who is a host on MSNBC, talk about Trump's intentional strategy here. If you're like me and hate wire rounds, then this one's for you. Let me introduce you to supportive comfort wireless shaper rounds from Shaper. Trump's intentional and complete toady, Steve Bannon once admitted that the strategy behind getting Trump elected was flood the zone with shit. This is how propaganda works. They overwhelm you, like with a fire hose. I don't like going to Truth Social at all because it is exactly that, a flood zone of shit and lies. But it is in those nonstop disinformation posts in Trump's feed that I discovered that he is threatening to dismantle Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, which provides health care to 40 million Americans. He's, of course, saying that he'll find a replacement for it, but that's a lie. The Republican Party as a whole has never come up with an alternative to the now very popular Affordable Care Act. He's also, you remember when he was in office, he said he was going to improve America's infrastructure, rebuild all the airports and roads and bridges. Of course, he never did. It was another one of his lies. And it's now thanks to the Biden administration that America's roads, uh, railway systems, airports are being rebuilt. Thank you, President Biden, not Trump. Also on his feed, I discovered that he is has been, well, before the gag order was reinstated, he was doxing New York, New York civil court judge Arthur and Goran's family, uh, including naming posts where it wasn't even judging Goran's wife, as well as his chief law clerk, inciting his mob followers to harass them. It makes my head spin to go on there, and that is exactly the way he and the MAGA mob wants it. Today, he's attacking Attorney General, New York Attorney General Letitia James in a series of racist and misogynistic posts. Just on brand for him. Trump and his MAGA mob blast lies into the media, media ecostream to intentionally overwhelm the public. Listen to Lawrence O'Donnell, who is a host on MSNBC, talk about Trump's intentional strategy here. That's when it started. The American news media's failure to rise to the challenge of Donald Trump started in 2011 and has never stopped. I alone at the time said then that he was lying about sending people to Hawaii to investigate the birth certificate. Trump was surely amazed that he was able to get away with that kind of lie at the time. But he quickly learned how weak 
TV news could be in the real-time fact-checking, and he relies on that weakness to this day. The news media is going to fail again in covering the Trump presidency. I personally believe that Trump got way too much airtime in the run-up to the 2016 election, and I think that's sort of how we got here. He was just platformed by legacy media. But even then, the mainstream media did not come down hard enough in terms of reporting on, for example, Trump's lies about President Barack Obama's birth certificate. It was never, in my opinion, reported accurately as the full-blown racist and xenophobic attack that it was. And now he's trying to take away health care for 40 million Americans. And that was not a big story when he said it. So this is my point. We need the mainstream media to pick up the pace, but we also need as many legitimate, accurate journalists out there covering all this. And one of those journalists is uh, Brian Kloss, who is a writer for The Atlantic, which, in my opinion, is doing some of the best journalism out there right now. Klaus recently wrote this in a substack regarding Trump coverage in 2024. Here's what Klaus says. I hope others in the press listen. Bombarded by a constant stream of deranged authoritarian extremism from a man who might soon return to the presidency. We've lost all sense of scale and perspective, but neither the American press nor the public can afford to be lulled. The man who, as president, incited a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol in order to overturn an election is again openly fomenting political violence while explicitly endorsing authoritarian strategies should he return to power. That is the story of the 2024 election. Everything else is window dressing. I couldn't agree more. Speaking of the Atlantic, their January-February edition is dedicated solely to the damage and destruction that will befall America if Trump gets back into power. In 2016, many of these same writers and contributors accurately predicted much of the chaos and damage that Trump would in turn cause. And in this issue, they break it down topic by topic. It is a must-read, in my opinion, and I think it's a great holiday gift or stocking stuffer for the MAGA member in your family or friend circle. I've got, I've got an idea to maybe surprise a few mailboxes of, of people I know. So here is my take-home point. We cannot become numb. Oh, it's just Trump being Trump. This is just what he does now. No, 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 because he's very dangerous. Yes, he looks like an orange clown. But he remains a, a huge threat and danger to our American way of life. The constant blast of chaos that Donald Trump creates can feel so exhausting. Trust me, I know it. But fascists want us to give up and just check out. Don't. Anybody from the MAGA extreme, and keep in mind that Donald Trump is telling us what he will do. He has outlined it in Project 2025, and he says it every day. Every day, everywhere he goes, he's telling us what he will do. Create concentration camps, get rid of health care, possibly imprison journalists and get rid press of the veterans administration. Anyone critical of Trump will not be allowed to stay because this time if Trump gets back in, he's bringing with him a well-oiled machine Coterie. of MAGA loyalists who will be far more effective in getting his agenda done. The last time we had people in the Trump administration who still, thank God, adhere to the Constitution and the rule of law. We won't have that next time around. Like, I cannot say this 
strongly, strongly enough, Trump remains a clear and present danger to America's democracy and freedoms. And I know there are many things we need to do better in this country. We need to get women's rights back up and so many other things. But it is going to be a disaster if he gets in. So please join me in the effort, the pro-democracy effort, right here on the Midas Touch Network. My name is Suri Crow. Thank you so much for watching, and I hope to see you back here really soon. Very Peace. important. Uh, hey, Midas Mike. Love this report. Job. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow. Is the real enemy of the people! Exclamation point. Right. So, yeah, thanks for 305k. You have great taste. And it's the commercial. There was a commercial that stole. That's my. That's my fucking joke. Expressing my my slogan. You've got good taste too. So they use it in commercial. Yeah. Missing Pima County teen found safe. Okay. What is this? It's like local news. Power restored after outage on Tucson's south side. Tucson Police Department hiring officer recruits. Uh, I bet you are. You know, I saw her standing there performed brilliantly by 14 year old Rose McPhillip. Dublin City today. Reese McPhillips. Let's hear that. Cracked or chipped windshield? Get clear view glass and tint to come to you for so free. Going on in Dublin. Probably all know this one if you're a fan of the Beatles, the best band of all time. Easily though. This is their very first track off of their first album. This is Saunter Stand There.
Very nice. Dublin City today. Wacko Trumper gets surprise outcome from Feta federal judge. Okay. The government is robbing you, and you're honestly dumb if you haven't caught on. You were supposed to get yeah, 6,400. This is Michael Popak, legal AF Donald Trump, as Pied Piper led even Olympic swimming medalists to their demise on January 6th. I used to admire Cleet Keller. He was a colleague of, of uh, Michael Phelps, and in 2000 and 2004, two separate Olympics, he medaled five times, one individually, including two gold medals. Six foot six, he represented America at its finest in the early 2000s, but he fell under the clarion call of Donald Trump. It was just one of at least 1,200 people who stormed the Capitol and committed insurrection on that day on January 6th. And now, after two and a half years of pleading guilty, That's cooperating it. with the federal government, Not just 1200. he has been sentenced. Let me just talk a little bit more about Cleet Keller. Sad, sad story of Cleet Keller once I give you the full sort of context. That's what we do here on Legal AF on hot takes like this. We don't blow smoke or sunshine. We just give you the facts, give you our reason seasoned opinion and let you make your own conclusion about cleet keller cleet keller uh, was wearing his olympic jacket with usa emblazoned all over it on jan 6th he decided and pled guilty to a felony related to his refusal to leave the capital to um resist arrest when he was being asked to leave to leading profane chants against nancy pelosi against chuck schumer uh, and and okay. he is literally an outsized presence in the Capitol. I mean, very few Capitol police taking a look at a strapping six foot six Cleet Keller wanted to tussle with that guy. And I think that's what he was banking on. Knowing that he was leaving the scene of a crime, as alleged in the papers submitted by the government in support of their sentencing recommendation of at least 10 months in prison, they said that he quickly got rid of his Olympic jacket and bashed his cell phone basically destroying evidence um, that could be used against him. Now, he claims he ran into a father and son on the train out, and he was embarrassed. He figured that one day they'd find out that he had committed these crimes, and so he, he ditched his phone and his jacket. That made absolutely no sense. It's obvious that knowing that he was wearing identifying clothing and wanting to get rid of his phone that had some videos on it that he had shot, he wanted to quickly get rid of it. So... Um, now, it's a sad case in its own way, just to show you how people in and around Donald Trump and various bands around him have all suffered because of their own in, independent conduct that has now been found criminally liable and sentenced. He uh, lost Plus, the custody um, of his children. Yeah. His stepfather of his children have received custody of the children he's uh, been out of work for on and off for a lot of the last 15 years. He slept out of his car at one point after the Olympic fame and the Olympic flame for him faded. 
Um, but that's no excuse for him deciding to scrape up whatever money he had on his Olympic jacket and go attack the seat of our democracy and, and be a leader in that role. Now, he pled guilty early. He cooperated with the federal government and the prosecutors early, trying to name names where he could. Um, he's been on effectively on probation for the last two and a half years. He's at least in his pretrial release. He's had a check-in regularly, and he's done all that dutifully. He's um, cried. He's admitted he was wrong. He's, he's uh, pled guilty without reservation. He's apologized to his family, America, and the court system. He's done all the right things there. And what the judge finally decided is to reject the call of the government. The government said that if you look at the federal sentencing guidelines based on his conduct, lack of criminal record, and all the other things that go into calculating a sentence under federal guidelines, it's about a 15 to 21 month sentence. The government said, we're going to give him a break. He's been out. He's been checking in regularly. He's been a good citizen since then, good participant in the criminal justice system uh, in that way. And so they recommended 10 months but in prison. The judge took another look at it. You know, that's what the judge is allowed to do, wearing the black robe. And the judge said, if any case cries out for probation and making this person do good in the community and society and tell young people especially that are very uh, important to his mythology about himself, um, about his his uh, the ways that he has strayed off the straight and narrow, ways that he's violated his his oath, his um, commitment as a patriot, representing literally wearing the red, white, and blue, representing the United States of America at the Olympics. This case cries out for it, and I kind of see his point. Um, nobody was injured or damaged as a result. He didn't pick up a flagpole or a fire extinguisher or a police uh, baton or shield. He didn't injure anybody. He was criminally stupid. He was criminally, uh, he, he put law enforcement in harm's way in resisting arrest. Every ounce of law enforcement that had to be devoted to him, subduing him, getting him out of the Capitol as one less police officer that's devoted to doing something like battling the uh, in a barbaric way, battling the protesters at the West Terrace Portico or, or helping elected officials flee to safety. So I understand why, and he understands why he's going, he's in the criminal justice system and is now a convicted felon, losing his right to vote, lost his children, lost his job, lost everything about it, paid a price, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, maybe not completely a debt to society, but the judge says, why don't we have him do 360 hours of community service? We'll put him on three years of probation, have him do at least 10, month, 10 hours a month of community service, reaching out to uh, not, not you know using a, a stick with a, a nail in it to pick up litter on the street. Have him go into schools and colleges and swimming clubs and all that and tell about the woeful tale of uh, Cleet Keller and his fall from grace and why he's apologetic. You know, make sure the speech is cleared by the probation department so he doesn't suddenly go cuckoo and start doing some MAGA things while he's up there because I don't think that registers as community service. But I assume the people hosting him will report back dutifully to the probation office about uh, what he said. And I'm sure the probation office will take a look at the speech and the notes about what he did. And I sort of see the judge's point Many, many of these people shouldn't, shouldn't see the light of day for a long, long time. Just to keep track, because it's been a long time since we've done sort of a, sort of a scorecard for the Department of Justice, which is admirable. In, um, there's about 1,200 
Jan 6 protesters, insurrectionists who were charged. 900 of them, as of this hot take, have pled guilty or have been convicted by a jury or a judge sitting in, uh, in a bench trial. The remaining 300, and that's a lot, are still in the criminal justice system awaiting a trial, continuing to plea negotiate and or and are awaiting sentencing and those will be i'm sure that backlog that backlog will be caught up in 2024 as they continue even to this day the department of justice and the fbi continue to obtain um, new leads find other people that think that they have escaped the um, watchful eye of the u.s government the department of justice when they haven't um, they'll get around to finding them now so I want to contrast that, the Department of Justice doing its job, prosecuting and uh, putting to trial or getting plea deals with 300 remaining, 1,200 total, and still going out to find new people with what the Speaker of the House and President has done in the release of the Jan 6 video, but with the faces blurred out so that um, no uh, criminal focus will come to the people that are seen on those videos. Now, let me clear that up for a minute. The Department of Justice has the unblurry version of that Jan 6 video. So it's not hiding it from the FBI or the Department of Justice. But the Speaker of the House knows that there are organizations online, sleuthing organizations online, who make it their job in their off time to search through social media and video and try to make a match and identify the people that are in those videos that haven't yet been brought to justice. And he doesn't want to help them, right? Because bringing people to justice for attacking our capital is not part of the MAGA plank for the uh, for election. It's not part of their campaign. It's not part of their code or moral uh, ethos. Uh, if you are a Republican, you are allowed to storm the Capitol and call for the heads of elected officials and uh, get away with it uh, without scot-free, without being imprisoned. And that's that party. Contrast that with a party that the Midas Touch Network and this YouTube channel focuses on and their morals, their ethics, their patriotism and the like. And that's what's brought Cleet Keller full circle in the hot take to justice. And I do agree with the judge in this one and not with the Department of Justice that having Cleet Keller spend, you know, four extra months um, in a sentence and or in prison the whole time is not going to have the same kind of effect as Cleet Keller going to a middle school or a high school and talking to kids about who, who he can make an impact on and change the direction of their life course. And I think that is a proper use of probation. Uh, in this case, given all the rest of the things and punishments that have been visited upon the head of Cleet Keller. Yes, based on his own conduct, I'm not making it as an excuse. This is just an explanation and my view about the propriety of the sentence. Well, that's what I do on hot takes just like this one, only on the Midas Touch Network, and then on a uh, twice a week podcast that we curate for you at the intersection, at the corner of law, justice, and politics. We call it Legal AF. Yep, that's what you think. Wednesdays, Karen Freeman, Ignifolo, and this guy. Saturdays, Ben Mycellus, and this guy. And then on Hot Takes, the leaders of Legal AF bring these hot takes about every hour. Why, and he understands why he's going, he's in the criminal justice system and is now a convicted felon, losing his right to vote, lost his children, 
lost his job, lost everything about it, paid a price, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, maybe not completely a debt to society, but the judge says, why don't we have him do 360 hours of community service? We'll put him on three years of probation, have him do at least 10, month, 10 hours a month of community service, reaching out to uh, not, not you know, using a, a stick with a, a nail in it to pick up litter on the street. Have him go into schools and colleges and swimming clubs and all that and tell about the woeful tale of uh, Cleet Keller and his fall from grace and why he's apologetic. You know, make sure the speech is cleared by the probation department so he doesn't suddenly go cuckoo and start doing some MAGA things while he's up there. Because I don't think that registers as community service. But I assume the people hosting him will report back dutifully to the probation office about uh, what he said. And I'm sure the probation office will take a look at the speech and the notes about what he did. And I sort of see the judge's point. Many, many of these people shouldn't see the light of day for a long, long time. Just to keep track, because it's been a long time since we've done sort of a, sort of a scorecard for the Department of Justice, which is admirable. In, um, there's about 1,200 Gen 6 protesters, insurrectionists who were charged. 900 of them, as of this hot take, have pled guilty or have been convicted by a jury or a judge sitting in, uh, in a bench trial. The remaining 300, and that's a lot, are still in the criminal justice system awaiting a trial, continuing to plea, negotiate, and are, and are awaiting sentencing. And those will be, I'm sure, that backlog, that backlog will be caught up in 2024 as they continue, even to this day, the Department of Justice and the FBI continue to obtain um, new leads, find other people that think that they have escaped the um, watchful eye of the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, when they have it. Um, they'll get around to finding them. Now, so I want to contrast that, the Department of Justice doing its job, prosecuting and uh, putting to trial or getting plea deals with 300 remaining, 1,200 total, and still going out to find new people with what the Speaker of the House at present has done in the release of the Jan 6 video, but with the faces blurred out so that... Um, no uh, criminal focus will come to the people that are seen on those videos. Now, let me clear that up for a minute. The Department of Justice has the unblurry version of that Jan 6 video. So it's not hiding it from the FBI or the Department of Justice. But the Speaker of the House knows that there are organizations online, sleuthing organizations online, who make it their job in their off time to search through social media and video and try to make a match and identify the people that are in those videos that haven't yet been brought to justice. And he doesn't want to help them, right? Because bringing people to justice for attacking our capital is not part of the MAGA plank for, the, uh, for election. It's not part of their campaign. It's not part of their code or moral uh, ethos. Uh, if you are a Republican, you are allowed to storm the Capitol and call for the heads of elected officials and uh, get away with it uh, without scot-free, without being imprisoned. And that's that party. Contrast that with the party that the Midas Touch Network and this YouTube channel focuses on and their morals, their ethics, their patriotism and the like. And that's what's brought Keller full circle in the hot take to justice 
and I do agree with the judge in this one and not with the Department of Justice, that having Cleet Keller spend, you know, four extra months um, in a sentence and or in prison the whole time is not going to have the same kind of effect as Cleet Keller going to a middle school or a high school and talking to kids about who, who he can make an impact on and change the direction of their life course. And I think that is a proper use of probation uh, in this case, given all the rest of the things and punishments that have been visited upon the head of Cleet Keller. Yes, based on his own conduct, I'm not making it as an excuse. This is just an explanation and my view about the propriety of the sentence. Well, that's what I do on hot takes just like this one, only on the Midas Touch Network, and then on a uh, twice-a-week podcast that we curate for you at the intersection, at the corner of law, justice, and politics. We call it Legal AF. Yep, that's what... Yeah, that's pretty sad that uh, these people are ruining their lives for Diaper Donalds, the worst and most pernicious traitor in history. And guess what? Everybody should know and pass this along that he is listening or he's reading. The only thing he reads for pleasure is Adolf Hitler's speeches. It's annotated. He's got a book of annotated Hitler speeches, Mein Kampf. I heard it was Mein Kampf and then I heard from Barbara Walters confronted him about it. I've actually posted some time ago, uh, you know, a clip from her interview of him. And he's got it in a, a locked cabinet, <clears throat> according to Ivana's divorce paper. So there you go. There's a, like an overt Hitler wannabe tyrant, petty tyrant, who has been very honest about what he wants to do. He wants to have a fucking concentration camps. What the fuck is wrong with you idiots? You know, like, can't you, can't you, uh, it's not even a hint. Can't you process these facts, these horrific, horrific facts? He's going to, by the way, if you're a veteran, he's going to, He's going to get rid of the Veterans Administration. He would have done that before, but it was a deeply, it's such an unpopular move for obvious reasons. Um, you know, all these, uh, if you're a veteran, you will not get any better veterans benefits because he's going to dismantle that administration as well if he gets into power. So um, there are several things. There are lots of things you can do. Don't tune it out and tell other people if they they don't want to have anything to do with the news. Tell them they, they better fucking pay attention or if they, unless they want to live in a dictatorship. Fucking fascist dictatorship. You know, this guy's pulling out all the stops. If he, if he is allowed to run for office, um, there won't be any more elections because he will, he is completing what he wanted to do on January 6th, which is to install himself as king. He wants to be fucking king. That's, that's why he admires these dictators so much. MBS and Kim Jong-un and Xi, President Xi in China. All these people are carrying out atrocities against their own populations, and that's what he wants to do. To fucking wise up. Jeez. Americans are so dumb sometimes.
the world is looking at us and what the fuck is wrong with them? Why don't they put him in jail? He fucking, he incited an, uh, you know, I want to say revolution, a rebellion. It's a terrorist attack on Congress. What the fuck is wrong with you people? He fucking incited a terrorist attack on national, international TV for the world to see and he's still not fucking jail. I suggest you call, you call all three branches of government and tell them what the fuck is your problem. Okay. The, the justice department, tell them to, to where's the special prosecutor to lock up all these fucking insurrectionists in Congress, the Republicans who took part. There's over 175, 176, uh, Republicans who signed off on overturning the elections so he could install himself king. Those motherfuckers are still in Congress. Call the Justice Department, 202-514-2000. Call the White House. It's, they're only open from 9 to nine five. Um, part-time staffed by old people. 202-224-31... No, 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 that's Congress. Congress is 202-224-3121. And the White House is uh, <clears throat> 202 uh, 